We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 65, Dominating the Countryside. My name is David Sville, and I have Travis Sowers with me on the line this week. How are you, sir? I'm ready to dominate. How are you, David? I am excited to get this set review going. This set looks amazing. I'm really excited. It's neat to return to Dominaria and see all of the callbacks, both mechanically, flavor-wise, art-wise, like... This is such a huge nostalgia boon for a lot of people who've been playing Magic for a long time. And then again, the mechanics also look fun. I'm excited to have that again. Yeah, it looks like a. Uh, it looks like it'll be a very interesting limited format from a combat perspective. Um, removal just on the surface doesn't seem as good as it's been in recent sets. It seems like there's either less of it or... I mean, some of it's pretty good, but um, I think the creatures will be more important in this limited format than perhaps Ixalan. And uh, so I'm looking forward to some interesting uh, board states and decisions to be made in game. Um, and there's some like neat mechanics, obviously kicker and things like that, but they've really stretched the bounds of what they can do with magic cards, it seems like. And I'm looking forward to see how these things play out. Me too. Uh, but first, we got to talk about magic online and um, big news again. So recent sets, they've been trying to um, push releases um further and further up uh last set we were lucky to do i think we did a thursday sealed event right if i remember Mm -hmm. correctly um and this time around you can do sealed events starting on the friday of a pre-release weekend um and it's not going to go down over the weekend it's going to be up all weekend so if you can't make it out to your your paper pre-release you can actually just sit there and grind on magic online all weekend in your underwear which is what i do i mean when you're not on stream right or when I am. I mean, they only see me from the top up, so it's fine. <laughs> um, but for real, though, like, how much are you going to be playing Dominaria this weekend? That's huge, dude. As soon as it's up on Friday, I'm doing that all day, and then we're going to fire back up on Sunday and do it all day Sunday, which is fantastic. Like, the only thing I didn't like about Magic Online in the old days was that I had to wait two weeks for the new set to come out. It was, like, awful to slog through Cube while I was waiting for it. But now it's just like, boom, here's exactly what you want when you want it. That's great. It's absolutely great. Do you remember the dark days of no leagues and waiting two weeks to draft? Oh, God. No, (laughs) I don't remember that. And that's a good thing. I don't want to talk about it. I want to say it was only a year ago (laughs) that we were doing that. Um, Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. But now we have a lame duck period in which like they fill it up with cube and that's at the end of a set. So it's like the last two to three weeks if the set's not that great you're in this lame duck period where you're not, like you just don't want to draft it and instead you're drafting cube or whatever the flashback draft is but we used to have an extra two weeks of that i remember where it was like well i i could be drafting the previous set or i could be playing the actual set in paper but i don't want to leave the house so i'm just not going to do anything on magic online and for for two weeks yeah and i was really kind of glad like, they got rid of that yeah it was kind of like the worst time period there and it wasn't even filled with cube even it was just like here's this like like a lame duck period exactly what it is you couldn't even really play new standard either yeah Um, there's just nothing to do on magic online so i'm very very glad that they've 
advance their release cycles. And it's continuous now, too. Um, we weren't sure when they started doing this if it was going to stick, but obviously it's been popular enough that um, they can spend the additional resources to make sure that these things get out on time. So huge props to that. We've come a long way, baby. We have. A um, couple of other housekeeping notes. Uh, first of all, uh, if you wish to get on board and support the podcast, of course, you don't have to. Everything we do here is free for the listening. Uh, we do have a Patreon set up, and uh, that is at menfromoto.com slash patreon.com slash menfromoto. Check us out there. If you're interested in supporting us, you can do so there, or you can just continue to listen, and that's great too. We love having you along. Um, other housekeeping notes, you did a set review this past Friday with uh, Ethan from Lords of Limited. How did that end up? That was actually really good. Um, I had not done anything individually with Ethan before. I mean, I've obviously watched his stream. He's watched mine. So, like, I, I know him and respect him and know that he's a good player. But we, we meshed really well. Um, we went through. We didn't disagree a lot on the cards. Like, there were some he was more excited about. Basically, anything that said Thalad he was really excited about than I was. And there were other things that I was more excited about than him. But we were pretty close, which I, I think means, like, there's some things you can take away from this set. And no going in, like, this card's going to be good, this card's probably not. And then there's others that we'll have to evaluate as we play with them. I was also kind of surprised that it went really quickly. Uh, when I did the set reviews with Neil Oliver back in the day, it would take nine hours or so. And even some of the ones I did on my own would get close to eight. And we had the entire set done in six hours. It's pretty impressive. I can imagine that he's got it all figured out already because he's got to do his prep for the Lords of Limited. They review every single card. Mm -hmm. um and give them a letter grade and go through that um so he he probably did a lot of prep work in advance which i imagine helps whereas you and i we kind of just fly by the seat of our pants and it's like oh there's a set this week we should probably probably review it yeah that is exactly how this works <laughs> exactly how this works but that being said we should probably get into a review and uh this is going to be a long one like it usually is so um We'll just dive right in. What we're going to do, for those that have never listened to us uh, before or haven't listened to at least a, a set review of ours, is we don't go over every single card. We don't give every single card a grade. We don't even really give them grades at all. What we do, though, is we talk about cards that stand out to us as interesting or powerful, specifically in the commons and uncommons. I think it's pretty, maybe not easy, but it's it's easier for people to evaluate mythics and rares because they generally tend to be extremes, either extremely good or extremely bad. Um, so, you know, as long as you're not picking the bad ones, you're not making a mistake usually. Whereas the commons and uncommons, they're all very close to each other and, and some of the good ones can get lost in, in the shuffle. So I think what we're doing is giving you a heads up when you're opening your first seal pool or you're doing your first draft or something like that. Keep an eye out for these key commons and uncommons and combat tricks and things like that when you're sitting down across from your opponent. So... Um, we're not going to go over every single card, but we will touch on the ones that we think are most interesting. So we're going to start with, uh, with white Travis. What's the first white card that stands out to you? Avon's entry stands out to me. I think this is worth noting. Um, it's three and a white for a three, two bird soldier flying. It's an irrelevant creature type, like as far as I can tell, there's nothing that cares about soldiers, and it doesn't have any other text, but like we've seen this card, Old Farts will call it a Snapping Drake, three and a color for a 3-2 flyer, and it is usually a solid performer in most of the limited formats that it's in. If there's a blue-white skies deck, you're going to be interested in this. Even if there's not, you're probably going to be interested in having some flyers. Again, I'm not saying that you should pick this early when you start drafting, I'm just saying, noting that there's a three power flyer in white for four mana at common 
kind of gives you the idea that you could have some evasive decks going here. Mm -hmm. As I was looking through the set um, and looking at the removal, it kind of struck me as, like I said in the in the in the opening here, is that it feels like the ground might get gummed up quite a bit. So having any kind of evasion, whether that be flying, trample, unblockable, anything like that, I think will be an upside in this set. Um, and of course, that's just me looking at it on the surface. It might play differently. But when I'm looking at, the, at it at a glance, that's kind of what it seems to me. So I think these flyers may go up in value when compared to a normal limited set because of that. I think so too. I also think it's important to note Zombub did the awesome thing that he always does for the sets and gave us a power and toughness spread. Um, creatures get way bigger in power and in the butt in this format than we're used to in Ixalan. So you are no longer in a world of hill giants. So bear that in mind as you're evaluating things and looking at these cards. If you've been playing a lot of Ixalan, you were used to 3-3 kind of being base stats. And it's still reasonable, but stuff gets way bigger than that. So that's that's mm. what Dave is suggesting might lead to a board stall. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I like Avon Sentry. To be, like, I like flying in general, um, and putting three power on a flyer makes it, I think, puts it over the top. You know, we have two two flyers, obviously, um, but the three two, if left unchecked, um, you know, that that's a lot of turns off the clock on your opponent having that extra point of power. So, yeah, I'll be happy to play these. Um, you know, I don't think it's one of the top commons, obviously. Like, I think there's a lot of better commons in white, but just knowing that it exists and looking out for it, especially mid to late in a pack if you're drafting. I think you could go a long way with that. Yeah, White usually gets a 2-3 flyer in this slot. So just reversing that power and toughness, I think, makes the card a bit stronger. Um, next one for me to pay attention to, and I think this is potentially one of your top commons, although you've got to be careful how many you play, is Blessed Light. This is four and a white for an instant. Exile target creature or enchantment. So this is basically final reward from Hour of Devastation, or excuse me, from Cat with Upside. Now, I accidentally misspoke there and said Hour of Devastation because that's where the card actually became good. In Ket, where everything was about let's curve one, two, three, uh, five mana instant speed removal wasn't all that great. In Hour of Devastation, like you were excited to splash for the card. And that's a, a little bit of what has me excited here is it, it looks like we're going to be a little bit slower pace, although there's still aggro decks. So I think you'll be able to just play this. And I also think that you'll be able to splash it. Because uh, it looks like we've got some generous splashing, color fixing options. So just five mana kill a thing at instant speed and random upside of Nag Nabasaga or you know some other enchantment that your opponent has, I, I think is a huge benefit. Yeah, um, the unconditional non-damage based removal I think is very good. Um, you know, combat tricks will be fine, but being able to just kill anything is uh, is I think going to be a huge upside in this format too. Um, there's a lot of you know, looking at things like Gideon's Reproach, which we'll see in in a second here, which I think is also good in this, in this will be good in this set. Um, there will be creatures that will not attack and block. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Lords and things like that, where your opponent doesn't want to necessarily put them at risk in combat. Um, I, I think Blessed Light will be a very good way to deal with those creatures. Agree. Okay. Uh, we've got a package deal on the next one because I do want to talk about both, even though I don't think that these are in the top common slot. But these are the combat tricks in white, so we need to know what they are. Um, it's a two-pack of Adamant Will for one in a white instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains indestructible until end of turn. And Charge, white for an instant. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. I think I like Charge a little better, and I generally don't like these style of effects but this one's cheap enough and good enough that I could cast it on one creature to potentially win a combat. 
Um, whereas I, I think Adamant Will at two mana is a little bit more expensive than I want to spend for a combat trick, but you'll need to know kind of what the tricks are in each color and, and what they do, and these are your two for white. Yeah, I think Adamant Will does have the upside of the indestructible clause. So yes, it might not be great as a combat trick, but thinking back, and I mean, it's no God's willing, right? But the God's willing uh, from um, Theros block, which we just saw uh, on a flashback, had the protection clause, which was very frequently the mode that you were playing it for. Mm -hmm. I guess actually it just was that, right? It's just protection. So you weren't necessarily playing it to win a combat, but you were playing it to protect against some kind of removal spell sometimes. So Adamant Will might, we might see that have that kind of upside where, you know, just indestructible means it doesn't get eviscerated or doesn't get burned out or something like that. Could be, uh, you know, could be a thing that you need to look out for. Mm -hmm. um, but I like charge in any deck where you're swinging with two or more creatures. Um, because being able to potentially win two combats or, you know, win one combat and trade off in another combat, whether on offense or defense, I think is going to be huge. Um, and like you said, it is cheap enough that you can, like, on five mana, you can play a four drop and then hold one mana up and it doesn't look very suspicious. Whereas if it was like a three mana anthem or something like that, um, it's very rarely that you have a, that you don't have a play on turn five and a full hand of cards. So your opponent might see that coming. Um, so I like the fact that you can kind of sneak it in there and cast things around it, um, which is, I think, major upside for any kind of cheap combat trick. Yeah, agree. Okay. I think Call the Cavalry is worth a mention. Uh, this is three and a white for sorcery. Create two, two, two white knight creature tokens with vigilance. I mean, we'd be pretty happy with four mana for a four, four. Like most formats, you would just put that in your deck and be pretty content with it. This is that, but it, it attacks a little worse and blocks a little better. Uh, although the Vigilance is kind of neat, and Knight can sometimes be a relevant creature type here. But it's a way to get two creatures out of one card. Obviously, it goes with Charge, because that's what the Cavalry does. But it, it's a way to get multiple creatures in play, and I, I think that's at least worth a nod. I think this might be up there for one of my top, let's say, four commons, to be honest. I think I think it could have potential, in particular because of cards like charge but it also depends on what you're pairing it up with um if you end up with you know a, a lord or something that cares about knights which i think there is one of it's rare but that's fine um but there's other lords there's other anthem style effects uh, there's another one in white at rare that you can get so i think um i think these will be valuable enough on their own just for power for toughness for four mana um you're right they don't attack very well but if you can support them with other cards or even potentially um some equipment right like if you can get um a decent piece of equipment that can give this first strike uh what is it the jouster's lance i think there is that gives it plus two plus zero and first strike on your turn or something like that um i think i think cards like that make call the cavalry a little bit better so you know worst case scenario is you end up with a couple of tokens best case scenario is you have a really powerful um you know four two vigilance creature that has a backup buddy if the first one dies yeah so i think there's nothing to be ashamed of there um the avant Trapper, I think, is worth noting here, too, in the list. Uh, this is two and a white for a 3-2. If the text ended there, it'd be all right. Like, we ain't excited, we ain't writing home. It says, whenever you cast a historic spell, tap target creature and opponent controls. This is our first instance of historic, so we'll mention this. Historic is when you cast an artifact, a legendary, or a saga. Right? Those are historic spells. 
So what I like about this is not that I'm looking to like load up a deck with bad artifacts or bad enchantments to try to make it work. It's that my opponent has to respect that I could have that, right? So if I've got this dude in play and they want to attack me, they may need to think about like, is the race math going to change if I play an enchantment uh, like a saga or I play a legendary creature and then I'm able to tap down one of their blockers, right? So it's kind of like that fear of activation makes your opponent have to respect this and play around it. If this was stapled to a body I didn't like, say it was a 2-2, I'd probably be out. But a 3-2 for 3, I'll play most of the time anyway. And I think that text has a little bit of extra weight here. So I'm kind of interested in this. Yeah, um, I think it also gets very good in multiples. This reminds me of the um, the zombie from the Amonkhet block. Do you remember that one? Yeah, Binding Mummy. Binding Mummy, right? Um, and those guys were annoying when you had two of them on the table. Mm-hmm. So um, this, if you have multiples of these, I think it's a reason to play um, artifacts that maybe on the fringe of making it your deck making it into your deck things like artifact or not artifacts uh equipment that you're like well i don't really want to play an equipment you know this one's not very good but if you have a couple of these guys um all of a sudden maybe that artifact gets an extra couple of points of damage as well um your your mileage will vary but i mean if you're just playing one of these and then you're just playing incidental you know sagas or artifacts or whatever that's totally fine too you don't have to go out of your way to to build it but i think if you had like multiples of these i think you probably want to start trying to exploit it as much as you can yeah and it, it it looks like most decks are going to have at least one or two legendary creatures by accident like there's too many legendary creatures not to be playing if you and your deck you'd have to like go out of your way to try not to have them so like i think if i just have one of these in one legend in my deck i'm pretty happy with it like that that won't come up every game or even often but the fact that it could means your opponent has to respect it they don't know what you have I'm very glad it's a 3-2 and not a 2-3. Oh, me too. I feel way better about just having a random one in my deck as a 3-2 because yeah. it'll trade up, right? Um, of note on legendary creatures, if I understand correctly, you get at least one legendary creature in every single pack. Correct. So, yeah. Like in sealed, you'll have, you should have something on color you can play mm-hmm. easily. And now don't look at this and think that it's the same power level as Territorial Hammer Skull. This is not that card, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, it, like, like I said, your opponent doesn't know what you have and you do. And magic is a game of hidden information for the most part. So like, I, I think that knowledge could be beneficial to you there. Absolutely. What else do you have? Uh, next up for me, I, th- I think this is worth mentioning. It's dub. Um, this is an aura. It's two and a white for an enchantment. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, first strike, and is a knight in addition to its other types. Now, this is sort of granting evasion to the creature because it's giving it first strike. And that's a lot of first, like that's a big power boost and the first strike. I I don't think we're quite as free to run around with auras as we were in the past, but it looks like there's at least a minor aura theme in red-white. And you could put together like a Bildrone-Voltron deck there. It's again going to be vulnerable to, to breaking up just like any auras are. But I I think this one's solid enough that it's going to see play in the format. I, I don't like usually going in on this strategy, but if it's what's open in a draft, I'll try it. Like, what do you what do you think of dub? <sighs> I think it's I think the three mana kind of scares me off, right? Like that's a lot to invest to get your to get two for one. I think if you're doing it on either on, on like a creature that has evasion or something that can attack through your opponent's board, and you're sneaking that damage through. 
and then it gets removed, um, you know, I, I'm probably fine with that because you're probably hitting them for five at that point, right? Yeah. Like you put it on a three T flyer, you hit them as a, as a, you hit them with a five, four and, uh, and you're like, okay, you have to answer this, right? So you're making them answer a threat that they might not have had to answer before, um, at the cost of two for one yourself, but you do get maybe four or five damage through at, at a minimum. So it's tough to say, I think it's way better in the, uh, like mid to late game when your opponent's top decking or close to top decking. Um, and, and you can, you know, obviously have an evasive threat or something like that or something large you can put this on. Um, you're going to get blown out by it quite a bit. But I yeah. think the times that your opponent can't answer it, you're just going to potentially stone win the game. So it's high risk, high reward. And you know how I feel about high risk, high reward cards. Yeah, I, I almost think the three mana makes it better than if it was one mana because then people won't play it early when they shouldn't. Like, mm-hmm. if you wait and play this as one of the last cards in your hand, it, it may be actually quite good for you. But if you jam it early, that's when you're really getting that opportunity to get wrecked. So you're thinking more like um, Mark of the Vampire style. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to, like, on curve, like, play a two-drop, play this. Right. I would yeah, not want to do that. Yeah. And, and I think if, if you play it like that, I think it, it's much better. Um, the, the, the floor on it becomes, you know... Like, you're still potentially getting two-for-one, but at that point, you're not losing the game because you got two-for-one. You're just like, oh, well, like, you know, um, I'm a little behind now instead of a lot behind. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You did skip over a card that I wanted to mention, though, unless you're kind of just looking at commons first, and I didn't really notice that. But um, I think the Dauntless Bodyguard is a, is a kind of a sweet card here. Um, it's one, or it's one a single white for a, a human knight, 2-1. As Dauntless Bodyguard enters the battlefield, choose another creature you control. You can sacrifice Dauntless Bodyguard. The chosen creature gains indestructible until end of turn. Sell it's me like on a, this because I don't think it's very good. I think it's I think it's fine. I think it's a it's a two power creature that you can play just on its own. I know we don't necessarily like one mana, you know, creatures because you're like, well, you have to play them on turn one. But think of this as a two drop. It can protect your lords. It can protect your evasive creatures. It can do all sorts of things. So I think late game where a a 2-1 for one mana or two mana even, would lose all utility. I think this comes down and can provide a lot of utility. Yeah, I, su- I suppose that's fair in that it's it's good when you play it on turn one and it's still live late in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, obviously, when you play this, if you've got a really good creature in play and they have instant speed removal, they're just going to kill the really good creature right then. But if your opponent's tapped out, and I mean, that was going to happen anyway. You've still got a 2-1. You can protect your second best creature. That's all fine. So when you look at it that way, this isn't actually that bad. I I think some people are going to overvalue this because of the one mana and think that it's a little bit better than it is when functionally it's not that different from a grizzly bear or a goblin piker. But you're Mm -hmm. right. I can get behind that. It's good when you play it on curve, and it's good when you play it off curve. That probably makes it a solid role player in the format. I wonder if this was a 2-mana 2-2. If, if people would look at it and see it entirely differently, even though that's kind of what it is here. You know well, what I mean? Like, There is some X1 hate, which is, I think is the reason mm-hmm. I was a little bit down on it. Like, we'll get to them, but there's a ton of salad salads running around. That is fair. This is also good if you're going in on auras like dub. Yeah. Right, where like you're probably casting dub when your opponent's tapped out, so you can get Dauntless Bodyguard and play at the same time, potentially. I don't know. I just think it'll be... Um, I think it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. And anytime you can choose a card to, to sacrifice, like when your opponent casts an edict on you and you have a wide board, you're like, of course I'm going to sacrifice my token or my one drop. And having that choice, I think um, 
I think is could be powerful. So if there's a lot of really good creatures in your deck, I think this goes up in value. If you're just playing a bunch of like three mana, three twos and stuff, it's like, who cares? Maybe you don't want this card. Well, see, that's the thing. If you've got good creatures to protect, it's pretty good. And if you're just trying to curve out, it's pretty good. So I think that mm-hmm. makes the card pretty good. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Gideon's Reproach, you mentioned earlier. I, I think that's certainly worth a mention here. We've seen this card before. It's a reprint from the BFZ block. Uh, it's one in a white for an instant. Gideon's Reproach deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature. It's worth mentioning that a card like this is better when you're using it as your opponent's attacking. And also worse than two, right? Because like they can play combat tricks to maybe get around that. Um, and if you're attacking and then you use this, they've still got the block. I guess unless, of course, it's on a trample creature. So, like, this is not as good as something like Pacifism or or some of the removal we've seen in past sets. And we've even gotten, like, three and four mana Pacifisms before. I still think I'd prefer those because this isn't something I want to, like, stock up on. I'm not looking for five of these, right? Uh, Whereas I'd play five Pacifisms or five Doomblades and probably, like, show it off on Twitter. Uh, But this is pretty good. Uh, This and the um, Final Reward variant, Blessed Light are your removal spells in white. So, like, you're going to have to play them. Uh, But let's buckle up and understand what it does. They can use a combat trick and save their guy. Or, again, if you attack and they block and you use it, they still got the block. So it it can be awkward in racing scenarios. But we've played with this card. It was pretty darn good in BFZ. Like, most of my decks that had two of them in it, I was happy about. And stuff got bigger there than it does here. So I expect this is going to kill most of the things you want dead And it's particularly good in blue-white skies. If that's an archetype here, that's a deck that can really leverage this. Because, like, you're not blocking me. I'm attacking in the air, and I don't mind using this defensively. Yeah, I'm just checking the chart now. Um, Yeah, it looks like four should kill most of the things that you care about. Um, I think all the good gold legendaries, or at least most of them, you should be able to kill with this. So that's also good. Um, You're you're pretty much guaranteed to get a good card with it all of the time. It's never going to be dead. Yeah, seems good to me. Seems good. Yeah, but it kind of sucks we don't get a pacifism style effect in white. Yeah. A little disappointed in that, but, I mean, can't have it all, I guess. Yeah, like I said, I'm overall very happy with the the look and feel of this set, and it looks like they want you to be able to play your creatures and your cool legendaries and get to keep them in play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Knight of Grace is next up for me. Uh, It's one in a white for a 2-2 first strike. Hexproof from black. First time we've seen this mechanic, but it basically means your opponent can't target it with black spells. And it gets plus one, plus oh, as long as any player controls a black permanent. That's relevant. If you're playing black-white and you have a black permanent in play, you have a 3-2 first strike. Uh, So I think, oddly, this card kind of draws you into trying to play black-white. There's a black version of this as well. It's a neat callback to black knight and white knight for old farts like me. Uh, And also, I think, just a good card. The best thing about white knight and black knight is that they couldn't block each other so they would just like ride right past each other yeah and these ones actually have fixed that right where they will actually kill each other so that's kind of neat um yeah two mana two two first strike is just great and then if you can make it usually a three two like that's huge i think and maybe sometimes muddle with your opponent's stuff like who knows maybe they are playing black and they want to use a removal spell on it and they can't and they can't. I mean, they'll double block it, which is fine. Um, you should be able to get a good creature off the table on the other side of the battlefield with this. Or have you have a combat trick and you wreck them when they double block because that's what first strike do. First strike is first strike is great. Yeah, it is. All right. Up next is Mesa Unicorn, one in a white for a two-two life link unicorn. Yeah, 
Misa Unicorn. Um, that was my best Jar Jar Binks impression. That's pretty bad. I know. <laughs> um, I mean, we like this card when it was a vampire. There's probably no reason to not like it now that it's a unicorn. Yeah, I think it's just like your filler white two drop, but I, I think it's one of the better ones. There are three white two drops here, by the way. This is just one of the ones that I want to point out at common. It carries equipment and auras quite well, and it does everything else that a grizzly bear does too. So I, I think that's worth talking about. We don't have grizzly bears anymore. They're all grizzly bears with upside. They kind of are, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I was really grizz- hoping they'd just print grizzly bears in this set. I'm a little dis- little disappointed they didn't. Maybe yeah, maybe a different variant would have been nice, like Grizzly Bears Plus or something like that. Grizzled Bears, Grizzled Bears. Ooh, I like I that one. That. I could have done that. Um, on Sarah's Wings is worth mentioning as well. This is an uncommon three and a white for an enchantment. Enchanted creature is legendary. Gets plus one plus one. Has flying vigilance and life link. This is your Mark of the Vampire of the set right here. Mm-hmm. I think if you play this exactly like you played Mark of the Vampire, you're doing it correct. And I think it's um, it's it's probably better because of the flying claws, even though the uh, Mark of the Vampire was plus two, plus two. Um, but I think I would rather have on Sarah's Wings because you're probably guaranteed to get a hit in with it the turn that you cast it. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with this card. Me too. Again, you run the risk of the, the two for ones, but I think crafting the game state around you sticking this on some good threat um is is how you win with this card we've also decided on stream during the set review that when you cast this on one of your creatures you must immediately give the creature a name this is steve the goblin because now it's legendary i like it okay now (laughs) be advised that if you have two creatures with the same name say two mesa unicorns and you put on sarah's wings on one and then on sarah's wings on the other one they will be subject to the legendary rule. Correct, but only if both of them have on Sarah's wings. Only if both of them have it. If you have two Mesa Unicorns and just one Sarah's wings, you are fine. Mm-hmm. So don't get got by that. Somebody in the world will get got by that, and it will be very, very crappy. Yeah, it's not going to feel good. Next up, we got three in a row that are all worth a mention. Uh, Pegasus Courser is two and a white for a 1-3 flying when it attacks, another target creature gains flying until end of turn. This is not particularly something you want in a flying deck, but something you might want in an aggro deck. One of the white two drops in the format is a 3-1, and it's like the worst of them. Nobody's going to want them. There's also some other lopsided power and toughness creatures in, in a few of the color pairs, and being able to launch this plus something else at your opponent's face every turn can give you a pretty quick clock. I do think the stats are kind of bad for blocking, so you'll need to get your defense somewhere else, and the card's not very good on its own. It does need friends, but it's worth noting that this is here and it's a common. Yeah, absolutely. The only downside is it gets blocked by a 3-2. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, whatever. We've seen cards like this in the past, and they've been pretty good, so. Yeah, they were usually Windrakes, though, and this one, like, I, I don't like the lower power. You really do need to combo it with something like white-green could take advantage of this quite easily. Throw something big in the air. Right? It's yeah. not a white-blue card, but I think it's a good one. This next one, uh, Sanctum Spirit, I think looks kind of bad and is actually kind of good. It's three to white for a 3-2 lifelink. Discard a historic card. Again, that's artifacts, legendaries, and historics, or and sagas. Sanctum Spirit gains indestructible until end of turn. So, like, here's your target for your dub. Here's your target for pretty much anything you want. 
because your opponent doesn't know whether or not you can do this, right? Like you swing in and they've got to make that choice. Do they have it or don't they have it? And maybe what you actually have is a combat trick. Like it could, it could be anything that you have, just an artifact in your hand. Uh, so I, I think that this may actually be good if, it's, if you can augment it, either with enchantments or auras, or if you can just keep it around by having enough artifacts and historic cards in your hand. But I think just the fact that your opponent doesn't know whether you have it or, or not is is going to make this a good one, similar to the 3-2 the we talked about earlier. Yeah. Always remember that your opponent always assumes that you have it. Like, you know, your opponent is always <laughs> pessimistic. That's the opposite. Always I, always, I always assume that they don't have it. I'm, uh, I just call all, every single time. And that's always a mistake, right? No, it's always the right thing to do. Because then I know. I'm like, okay, they had it. Now they I have it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Um, I think it'll obviously depend on how many times you can activate it. it it's fine on its own. Um, but you're going to have to enable this somehow. Don't play bad cards to enable this. But if you're playing, you know, equ- equipments or like, um, you know, random artifacts or sagas here and there and that card is worth trading its life for this card. I think you're, you're fine with that. Um, I think the value for this card goes up if you have other cards that care about historic spells, right? Or you have a way to recur artifacts from your graveyard, things like that. Um, I think that goes way up in value. It's always just a huge deal to be able to discard a card to have an effect, right? You're Mm -hmm. getting free mana effect. So like if I attack in and they block this with a grizzly bear and I discard an artifact that wasn't going to be useful, I basically just turned that into another three, two lifelinker which is in many cases going to be fine by me. Like just turning free card advantage, like free trading cards for no mana cost for a board effect is kind of a big deal. Absolutely. Uh, Next up is Seal Away. This is one in white for an enchantment with Flash. When it enters the battlefield, exile target tapped creature and opponent controls until Seal Away leaves the battlefield. So as long as whatever they have is, is tapped or going to be tapped, this is great. Doesn't kill vigilance creatures, but at uncommon, this is like premium removal for white. Um, I would probably try to get as many of these as I could into my white deck. Yeah, when I said that we didn't have a pacifism effect, um, I'm I'm very glad to see that we had an O ring or a, a exile type effect. Um, I mean, the fact that it has to be tapped is kind of whatever. We used to play assassinates, you know, in black, which is kind of the same thing, like sorcery speeds. So, for one mana cheaper and instant speed, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Gonna be great. Uh, an oldie but a goodie, we've got Sarah Angel at 3 white white for a 4-4 Flying Vigilance. I mean, classic, sold. Um, I first picked this before in formats. Um, I'm pretty happy to play this. And two or three of them, maybe three might be too many, but if you build your deck around having three of these at your top end, I think you could do a lot worse. Yeah, I've, I've seen formats where this was first pickable and formats where it'd come around fifth pick or sixth pick and you weren't surprised. That was really just one awkward M set, though, where everything was so skewed and white was so bad that you just didn't care. You didn't want to play white. Uh, but I, I think, generally speaking, this has been a solid performer most of the times we've seen it printed, and I expect it to be here as well. I want to mention Sarah Disciple because I don't think this is good, and I think people may look at it and think that it will be. It's one in a white for a 1-1 flying first strike. When you cast a historic spell, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. I think with a few tweaks, this could have been quite good. If it was one mana, I might be in because I could use it to defend against X1s. If it got plus two, plus O, I think it could be quite good. Um, But as it is, I don't want to pay two mana for a 1-1 flyer that's going to get buffed three times throughout the game. That's just just not enough for me. Yeah, I don't think... If you could 
trigger this every single turn, I think it might be good or at least playable, but you're not ever going to be able to do that. That's impossible. So yeah, yeah it's pretty much a fart noise, I think. And I think that carries me through the ones that I wanted to make sure everybody knew about. Um, although I suppose Triumph of Gerard is worth a mention because like this one looks good and then looks bad and then looks good again. And you kind of got to wrap your head around what it's doing. This is our first saga. So when you play a saga, the sagas that we've seen so far have three chapters. When you play it, you get an effect. The next turn, you get an effect. The third turn, you get the final effect and then it disappears. It sacrifices itself. So Triumph of Gerard is one and a white for an enchantment. When it comes into play, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control with the greatest power. You do that again the next turn. And then on the third turn, target creature you control with the greatest power gains flying, first strike, and lifelink until end of turn. This actually reminds me a great deal of Ordeal of Heliod. Right? You have to yep. put the counters on your best dude. If they kill your best dude the next turn, will you just put the counters on something else? And if they kill that, you still get you know, flying first strike and lifelink until end of turn. So like Ordeal of Heliod was quite good in Theros because of Heroic, but it was also in the Anniversary set, and I played it in a lot of decks there, and it was quite good. Uh, so I, I, I think you could get some play out of this at Uncommon, and I think not be disappointed with the effects that you're getting. I'm not saying going nuts over it, but I'm saying if you're an aggressive white deck, and I, I think there's going to be aggressive white decks, this is not a bad include for that. Just make sure you're playing, you know, 15, 16 creatures in your, your limited decks. Yeah, I think turning your 2-2 into a 3-3 and potentially a 4-4 makes this worth a, 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 like a, worth a card. Um, we've There's actually a few effects in green where the plus one, plus one counters stick around as well. Um, so it's not a theme necessarily, but we do see plus one, plus one counters on combat tricks. Um, obviously, this is not instant speed, but, you know, growing your creatures past the hill giant range could be big in a, in a, in a format where I'm thinking that the board is going to get stalled out. Or if you're in white and you have random flyers, you know, that works really well too. I'm not really looking at this for the final effect unless it's going to finish the game. Um, it has potential maybe to stabilize me, but um, I'm more looking at it as, you know, put a plus one, plus one counter on two target creatures for one and a white at sorcery speed. You don't get eh. to choose where they go. It's always going on your biggest creatures, so that's worth if noting. You, if you have multiple biggest creatures, you can, can, can pick. You know, it's like bolster that way. Um, but... At least it's not in your smallest creatures. Yeah. Right? So so like you're 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 Voltroning up a bit. Um, but this plays kind of well with um, you know, things that make tokens because, you know, you're guaranteed probably to have like if you have uh what is it, the call the cavalry, mm -hmm. right? You you can make a three three and the three they remove it, you still have the three three vigilance on the next turn. Um, or if they remove a two two at some point in the game, you still have a two two left that can carry these plus one plus one counters. So in the right deck, I think it's good. I don't know if I'm going nuts, like you said, first picking it or anything like that, but yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, that takes us through what I wanted to talk about in white. What has caught your eye in blue? In blue, man, there are some good blue cards. It's been a while since I think blue has stood out to me as the best color in a format. I know that it probably has been the best color in a format before, but it's tough for me to see the, the qualities of blue. I'm a green mage. Um, but Academy Drake, this is our first instance of kicker that we've actually talked about right mm -hmm. yeah okay so so kicker for those that don't know kicker is uh when you cast this spell you can pay an additional cost if you do you get some kind of bonus so in the case of academy drake it's two and a blue for a two two flying drake uh wind drake no big deal but it has kicker four so if you pay seven mana for this 
uh, six and a blue, it comes into play with two plus one plus one counters on it. Now you're thinking, seven mana for a four four flyer? That stinks. Why would I ever play that? The advantage of this card and most cards with Kicker are that they are modal spells. You have decisions that you can make as to when to cast these cards. So a card like Academy Drake, you can play it on turn three as a 2-2 flyer, which is decent on its own. We've played that in a lot of formats before. But if you happen to top deck this on turn 14, all of a sudden now you have a 4-4 flyer. Um, you know, we like Sarah Angel for five mana. It's a little more than that. It doesn't have Vigilance, but given the fact that this would normally just be a three mana 2-2 in your deck, the fact that you can upgrade it later in the game, that flexibility makes this a a more powerful card. And I think this is probably going to be one of the top commons in blue. I think so too. This one, I don't think... Now, some of the kicker spells give you decisions to make. I don't think this is actually one of them. I think if you're anything less than seven mana, you just play this for as a 2-2 flyer. And if you're anything greater than seven mana and don't have anything else to do, you just play it out. But that doesn't make it bad. It's a seven drop that you can put in your deck that's acceptable that you can also play early. It kind of reminds me of morphs in, in a way. Yeah, a little bit like morphs. I think the decision point on this one for me might be six mana. Yeah. Do you know? And, and it depends on the board. If I'm in a board stall and I think a four four might win me the game faster than a two two would, I might try to hold out for that seventh mana. Um, but obviously, if you need a blocker or you're on turn, you know, five or six or something like that, just, just play just this play out it. if you have nothing. If you have nothing better to do. Yeah. Of course, if I have a handful of three drops plus this, this is probably the last three drop I'm playing. Right, unless I think unless I think evasion is more valuable, right? So, but yeah, you're right. So I don't there, think there's some decision, but not many decisions. Um, this is probably the easiest one of the kicker cards, the good kicker cards, I think, to play. Yeah, agree. Um, Academy Journey Mage, I think, is really good. This is four and a blue for a three-two human wizard. This spell costs one less to cast if you control a wizard. Neat. When Academy Journey Mage enters the battlefield, return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. You don't so, have to attack to make it happen. You just get to do I it. I know. And we liked... The, I mean, it was it was okay in Ixalan block for 4 mana as a 3-2 with Raid. Um, it's really good as a 3 mana 2-2 two, two in Mana War. Um, this is 1 mana more, which... that That's a real cost. A 5 mana 3-2 is, you know, not great. Um, but I think if you have the random upside of being able to cast it for 4 mana, um, you know, I, I think it gets it gets much better. But even on its own, I think it's just fine um, in a format of auras and equipments and tokens tokens and anthem effects. Like maybe you can bounce uh, your opponent's lord or something like that and try to kill a creature or two after they've blocked. You know, there's a lot of things you can do with bounce. Um, And putting it on a creature with three power, I think, is pretty good. Yeah, we saw uh, a five mana one four bouncy dude in Return to Ravnica block, and it was just good. Now, that was a pretty dirtily format uh, with a, a few exceptions. I'm thinking about like Dragon's Maze where everybody was playing three or four colors so you could definitely play something like that. And if the format is exceptionally fast, this creature's like upside is going to be lower, right? Because if you're having to cast it defensively, you're you're kind of missing missing the boat a bit, I'll say. But overall, I like Academy Journey Mage. Yep. Uh, next for me is another kicker card, a Blink of an Eye, which is functionally just into the royal right mm-hmm. so it's one in the blue for an instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand it has kicker for an additional one in the blue if this spell was kicked draw a card um so two mana bounce and it's a non-land so you can bounce a lot of other things um with the upside of being two additional mana draw card i think you put those two together and it's it's a very good card 
Yeah, generally speaking, I'm happy to play one bounce spell in my blue limited decks. I think I'd be happy to play two of these because like maybe I can get the value if I've got two mana up when my opponent goes for an aura or plays a combat trick that's going to be unfavorable for me. I can just bounce their dude and set them way back. Um, you could potentially sort of get a three for one off of this if you're like, at least it kind of feels like it, right? Because you're getting a two for one plus some tempo if you're drawing the card. So I, I think Blink of an Eye is very good bounce, and that flexibility is a great thing to have as well. Yeah, I think like end of turning this for tempo as well. So your opponent plays a four drop, and you're like, okay, bounce it, draw a card, and then draw another card for your turn. I think that that's a really good feeling too. Oh, sure. Because like that's the thing. You can just fire this off with the kicker, and you're not down a card. Whereas yep. if you used an unsummon, you would be. So there, there's some value here. Exactly. Um, and the kind of the fourth one that I'm really excited um, to see how it plays is Cloud Reader Sphinx. Just four and a blue for a three, four flying Sphinx. When it enters the battlefield, scry two. I think this is going to be really good in blue. It kind of blew I, my mind to see this because it blocks all the other flyers. It attacks through all the other flyers. And we get like, I would have been happy with four and a blue for a three, four flyer, but I get to scry as well. Neat. I think if if I was doomed to play a mono blue deck in this format and all I could choose were those four cards that I just read off <laughs> and those were the only cards I could play in my blue deck, I think I would win a lot of games. I think you would too. I think this is quite good for a common. This is common, folks. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited to see where where this one goes in particular. The four toughness is amazing. Um and paired this up with a bunch of wind drakes on turn 3. I'm I'm pretty happy with that. So, yeah, I particularly like this body because I can play it and then block with my flyer if the opponent is attacking me in. Like, it can stabilize me, and then while I spin my wheels a little more, continue to do that, and then just take to the air once the skies are clear. Yep. Uh, next card I wanted to talk about, I'm disappointed with this, um, but I guess Blue can't have it all, is Deep Freeze. Um, this is our, like, claustrophobia of the format, except it's not claustrophobia at all. Yeah. So it's two and a blue for an aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature has base power and toughness. Zero four. Has defender. Loses all other abilities and is a blue wall in addition to its other colors and types. It becomes a thing in the ice without being a thing in the ice. Yeah. I mean, that's relevant because if you snap this on something that has counters or has been enchanted or something, it's still going to have those counters over its base power and toughness. So if you've dubbed a 2-2 and I cast this, it would still be a 2-6, right? The difference is it's not going to be attacking. And what Davis pointed out is claustrophobia, narcolepsy, cards that we've seen like that before, just basically tap the creature and leave it tapped and is a kill spell. This is not that, right? It does take out utility creatures. They lose their abilities, but you're giving your opponent a solid blocker. So I think this is going to be at its best home in somewhere where you're killing them with evasion, a.k.a. blue flyers or blue-white skies. I don't think this is like... I first picked Claustrophobia in a lot of formats. I don't think I'm doing that here. No, I'm, I'm pretty sad to play this. I wish it was... Um, you know, I wish it tapped it down instead. Because I don't think then... sad to play this is where I want to be. I think if I'm in the right deck for it, which is a, an evasive flyer deck, then I'm pretty happy to play this. And the good news is I can probably get four of them for that deck. That's true. That's true. I guess I'm just sad that this is our removal in blue. Yeah, I think fair that's enough. more where I'm going with that. Fair um, enough. Unless you go to uncommon, in which case you can pick up in Bolus's clutches <laughs> for four blue blue, which is a, another aura. It's legendary though, so... You can't necessarily play both of them if you have two. Enchant permanent 
you control enchanted permanent and enchanted permanent is legendary yeah six mana mind control i'm in if this is in my sealed pool i'm gonna really try to play blue absolutely um the double blue obviously makes it tough to splash but it is a reason to try to play blue if you can um i i look forward to getting just beaten by this card because it's an uncommon (laughs) yeah uncommon mind control effects well we had entrancing melody right entrancing melody was um a a rare Mm -hmm. and sorcery speed and sometimes more expensive sometimes cheaper um but that was just to feel bad when you got beaten by that yeah and this is an uncommon uh, yeah you're gonna have somebody take your planeswalker and kill you with it because you can absolutely do that with this card yep absolutely but i mean whatever you know i can also open them i can also draft them so all's fair in love and war or war in this case i guess more than love yep although i do love the card it's got bolus on it i'm gonna be happy yeah it's uh it's it's pretty sweet um let's see here we can talk about opt for another 20 minutes if you'd like but we all we all know how great opt is so let's i'm gonna skip opt right out past that you're doing let's a skip. disservice to the fans opt is a bad magic card you shouldn't play it see or previous set reviews for knowledge thereof uh see opt is a good card makes your 40 card deck 39 cards but it's not valuable enough to pick it out of any pack unless it's the last pack passed to you <laughs> Travis is giving me a look here and he doesn't like me. That's um, true. That's true. Let's see here. The next one I wanted to talk about is uh Slin Voda, the Rising Deep. Um there's a lot of text on this card. I don't know why this card is not rare. Six blue blue for a legendary creature Leviathan, and it's an eight eight. So an eight mana eight eight with kicker one in the blue, so ten mana, you can kick this. If you kick this, this returns Every, all creatures to their owner's hands except for merfolk, krakens, leviathans, octopuses, and serpents. So, um, what was that card? There was a, a blue a blue creature recently that when you cast it, um, you could bounce everything to its to their opponent's hands. No, it was um, in Kaladesh block with the energy. You would play it, and if you the had whale. eight energy, uh, yeah. you could you could bounce everything back to their hand. It's kind of similar to that, except obviously for ten mana. The reason I wanted to point this out is because I don't know if this is going to be good or not. It's, it's, I'll help you out. It's not. I think if you have a ramp deck, I think this is very good in a ramp deck. I think if you're playing blue green and you have like elves and you have, you know, power stones and things like that, I think you can just end a game with this on potentially turn 10, turn nine. I don't know. I, I think in the, in a ramp deck, I think this could be very good. Yeah, and th- that's my concern with it, is that I think this is secretly a gold card, right? Like, mm-hmm. I need my 10-mana card to say win the game, and this sort of does, but it sort of does in the same way that a River's Rebuke would. Uh, so it, this is not a style of effect that I'm looking to go out. I see this as like, I was building a blue-green ramp deck anyway, and then I got one of these and didn't get anything better for my top end, so let's do it. Uh, but I, I, I'm significantly less excited about this one than you. I don't think i'm excited i just want to see if it ends up good i in in my notes here i have it trap or bomb question mark and i am i am leading more toward trap but i think i think this could finish games in a ramp deck for sure this will finish games in a ramp deck and it's still bad yeah that's fair um tetsuko uh umazawa fugitive one in a blue for a one three legendary human rogue 
Creatures you control with power toughness one or less can't be blocked. The reason I wanted to point this out is because I think this plays well with um, Sapperling tokens. I think that's that's kind of a deck or anything that has one power or one toughness creatures. Um, I think this could be a good card in a very specific archetype. There's also, uh, again, there's a 3-1 in white. There's a lot of just lopsided power and toughness. So you're going to have stuff that's going to be unblockable. And I, I don't think a 2-mana 1-3 is, is necessarily terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't think you want to play it by itself. I definitely want to, you want to make sure you have things that are getting through. But I, I think I think it'll be good. And then uh, I think that's all that I had. Oh, no, Time of Ice, because I think Time of Ice is, is, is interesting. And I think it'll be quite good. Time of Ice is 3 and a blue for a Saga. Uh, the first two chapters are tap target creature and opponent controls. It does not untap for as long as you control time of ice. So turn turn it comes down, you tap something. Next turn it taps something, those things don't untap. And then on turn three, return all tapped creatures to their owner's hands. That's yours and your opponent's. So you're guaranteed to get two on your opponent's side. If they attacked you, then you're going to get more. They're probably not going to attack you. So what you've probably done is you've probably bought a turn of not being attacked. Um, and then if you have any kind of utility creatures or anything like that, you want bounced on your side, um, you could potentially attack with them and get them bounced. Yeah, I but us- generally speaking, you're just a, you're just bouncing your opponent's two creatures. Yeah, I usually don't like pure tempo spells, but this is so much tempo wrapped into one card that I think I would try to do something with it at Uncommon. Like if you've got any kind of board state where you're pretty close to parity, I think this could help blow it wide open. Because I'm going to tap something, get an attack that I didn't have before. Next turn, tap whatever they play, have that same attack I did before, and then bounce both of them and have it again. Plus, they can't swing back that turn or everything's going to bounce. Yeah, exactly. So, um, very good. Deals with tokens. If your opponent has large tokens for whatever reason, or creatures with auras, um, lock it down and they can't really do anything about it. So, it's pretty sweet. Also, if you could abuse this with some kind of uh, bounce effect, I think there's a one-mana rescue uh, you can return a permanent yeah, control to your that. hand. Yeah, don't play that. Just play into the royal. Or into the royal or anything like that. Um, you could potentially abuse time of ice and um, lock down your opponent's entire board. Plays very well with icy manipulator as well, by the way. Yeah, we're going to have that too. Um, so a point of order here is you can. Ret- I think you can respond to the final um, chapter. So that the trigger, so the you'll hit chapter three in your uh, at the start of your pre-combat main phase. Now, you can't respond to putting the third counter on this, but the effect would go on the stack, so you could potentially Icy Manipulator in advance of that mm-hmm. um, if you happen to have that. So you could bounce three or potentially four things with this card if you have an Icy Manipulator. Agree. Two blue cards that I want to at least point out that are here, one because I think it's a lot better than people are going to think, and another because it's an oldie but a goodie and like it's just a staple in blue cards. Divination is here, two and a blue sorcery, draw two cards. That's a two for one. Two for one's kind of when you games unlimited. You can't win a, a game with a deck full of 21 divination, so understand it's some wheel spinning. But one thing I like about divination is it can kind of smooth out your draws, right? Like if I've got three lands and I need to make sure I hit my fourth, it'll find it for me. And if I top deck it later, it's a little better than, you know, just drawing one card. So like divination's here. And then the other one that I think is really important and is kind of a colossal deal to be printed at common is syncopate. I don't like counter spells in limited. I will pick a lot of syncopates because this one's just good. X in a blue instant counter target spell unless its controller pays X. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into the graveyard. This scales with the game. 
So like I have to pay kind of more mana than what you have open, but you just cast something, so I should be able to outmana you. You can use this as a two drop in blue to counter their two or three drop potentially. So like this can just fill in your curve wherever it is. I would play up to three of these quite happily in a blue deck, especially if I've got anything else to do at instant speed, such as Gideon's Reproach, any number of, of other counter spells, uh, in, any number of instant effects. So I, I think Syncopate's a big one and worth noting that it's in here. Your opponent can and will have this, and I would I would encourage you to put one of these in your sealed pool. I wouldn't splash for it. It ain't that good, because what makes it good is that flexibility of it scaling with the game, especially when people are looking to pay kickers, man, right? Like, you're tapping out to cast your 7-drop, 3-drop, and I'm just like, 2-mana counter it. That's a huge deal. Yeah, I like I like being able to play this on the draw. So like on turn two, like you said, when your when your opponent plays a three drop, I think that's probably where it's best and where it differs from a spell like cancel. So like somebody new to magic, let's say, or new to limited, might say, well, like, you know, I could just play three mana unconditional and it's better than syncopate. The key is is the flexibility. That's where syncopate becomes very good, is you can cast it early, you can cast it late. Um, and yes, it's harder to become unconditional later, but if you've made your land drops like your opponent has, um, or your opponent's casting like a spell with kicker or something like that, um, you should be able to get them. So yeah, I think it's very good. And it's probably the blue removal spell. Yeah, I, I think so. Unless you're looking specifically to do evasion. Yeah. Blue looks great though. I'm really excited. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, like after the set review, I felt like green kind of had the best commons and blue was kind of close. But, like, there's some solid aggro stuff. I, I don't think there's a bad color here. I really don't. It's pretty rare that we see a bad color these days, so... Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. How about black, though? Let's jump in here. Um, I'm going to mention this because it's our black combat trick. I don't think it's a particularly good one. Blessing of Bells and Lock is black for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus one in, until end of turn. If it's legendary, it also gains lifelink. So this is mostly black for plus two, plus one which will win you some combats, although not all of them, and the lifelink is not guaranteed. It only happens if the creature's legendary. I don't think this is good. I would probably not play it in a black deck. I think I'd rather just play almost anything else. But it's here. People could have it, so be aware of that for the pre-release. Yeah, I echo all of those. Now, this I really like. Uh, Caligo Skin Witch. One in a black for a 1-3 creature human wizard with kicker, three in a black. If it was kicked, each opponent discards two cards. So here's what I like. My opponent's attacking me with two twos. It's early in the game. I can just play it, and it's fine. If I top deck it later in the game, like at the point where I could actually spend six mana, and my opponent has any cards left in their hand, I'm just going to nab them. So I really like that flexibility on this card. It's not great at either portion, right? Like imagine this is a 3-1 or even just a 2-2. Like I'd be super happier just playing it out on turn two. But the fact that I get both has me excited about this card. I mean, you usually like a Mind Rot and Sealed. I certainly do. And putting a Mind Rot in your deck without actually costing you a card, I think is is huge upside for somebody that enjoys Mind Rot. So the upside of this is that um, people will potentially be holding cards that have kicker costs, mm-hmm. right? To try to get maximum value out of them and you can punish those those opponents. So you're playing against me, you see me on six mana, and you know that I have a Windrake in hand that I'm really hoping to get my seventh mana for, you top deck top deck this, boom, you punish me for it, right? Mm-hmm. Now maybe next game you make me think about playing that card a little earlier instead. 
Um, so yeah, I, th I think this is this is a very interesting card. Um, you probably just play this all the time. I don't know if you play too too many of them because a one three can only really go so far. Yeah. But if you're going to play Mind Rod in your deck anyway, you might as well just like this is a great replacement for that. I think so. I think so for sure. Next up is one that we're probably not going to have any argument about. Uh, cast down uncommon. One in a black for an instant destroy target non-legendary creature. Yeah, there's a lot of non-legendary creatures. There will be times where you will be sad that... It, it'll just be like Walk the Plank. Yeah. Um, where sometimes you're sad that your opponent had a bunch of merfolk and you're like, well, this card's dead. But it always has a target and limited. And that's the same with this. Yeah. Um, and, and even better, it's it's instant and splashable and like only one black in the color. It's just, it's just good. It's just good. Mm -hmm. It's great, yeah. Um, Dark Bargain is an instant for three and a black look at the top three cards of your library, put two of them into your hand and the other in your graveyard deals two damage to you. This reminds me a bit of bitter revelation from kind of reminds block. me of read the bones. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit, right. A kind of a combination of the two. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually interested to see, I think this card will be very good. It's the black divination. And the fact that it's instant speed means that you can hold up a cast down, right. Or some kind of activated ability or something like that. And then cast this at the end of your turn. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're playing this in blue, you can hold up a counter spell, cast this at the end of the turn. I think it, I think it'd be very good. Yeah. I think this has got something going for it. Note. It's not that much better than divination just because it's instant speed. Like if inspiration, which was, you know, four mana for instant draw two, I'm not going nuts over that, but I think this is pretty good. I think the fact that it's in black, like you have to kind of put it on a different level, um, black doesn't normally get instant speed draw unless you're sacrificing a creature. Yeah. Right. And the fact that this looks at an extra card, I think is, is interesting as well. There's a little bit of graveyard synergies or at least getting things back from the graveyard, depending yeah. on what colors you're playing. So like that could be minor upside. Um, but you're right. It's, you know, divination is, is obviously cheaper, a little more efficient, um, sorcery speed kind of whatever. But I think you can pair this in combination with other cards, either on board or in your hand. Um, and I think it can, you can manufacture a game in which this is much better than a divination. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. The next one I wanted to talk about, um, it, it took us a while to go through this on the set review because it's a complicated card. It's the eldest reborn four and a black for a saga. Chapter 1, each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Chapter 2, each opponent discards a card. Chapter 3, put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It's an uncommon. So what this breaks down to is a slow 3-for-1 that your opponent sees coming a mile away. Add all that up, if we're in a relatively slow format, and I think sealed may be a pretty slow format, then this could be pretty good there. I'm going to kill their worst creature, get their worst card out of their hand, and then this is from a graveyard. So I'm going to get the best creature in either graveyard, or Planeswalker, it could happen, from into play immediately while I still have all my mana untapped to cast something else. So I, I think this is pretty good if things are slow, and pretty bad if things are fast. Like, actively terrible if things are fast. But if it's slow enough that I can resolve this and, and get all three chapters to go off, I think I'm going to be happy with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, the fact that your opponent gets to see the discard coming, I think... I, I almost wish it was the other way around. So, like, each opponent discards a card to start. Yeah. And then each opponent sacrifices a creature or Planeswalker because you can nab, potentially, their last card in hand. Um, but, obviously, if your opponent sees it coming, they just keep their worst card. They don't play it that turn, which could mean they may not play a spell that turn. Yeah. Um, or 
they miss a land drop, for example. So who knows, right? It'll depend. I'd be very fast to side this out in a lot of matchups, I think. But I'd be interested in starting it in draft and seeing where it goes. We'll have to evaluate the format, like you said. But yeah, I, it is a three. It is a three for one. Yeah, I think in sealed, I'm gonna try this at your pre-release and report back to me because I, and I'll know by Friday because if I open one, I'm for sure gonna try it out. I need to know. Yeah, I mean, I'm two at a giant in this, and I'm going to play as many of these as I can in two at a giant, so... Oh, yeah, it's going to be absurd there. Yeah, but, I mean, not quite the sealed format we're talking about here, so... Yeah. Uh, you skipped over a card that I think is interesting. Um, I have this as one of the... Probably what's going to be a standout common, maybe, is the Deathbloom Thalid. Hmm. Tuna Black for a 3-2. It's pretty simple. Tuna Black for a 3-2. Fungus, which is relevant. When it dies, create a 1-1 Sapperling token... Um, the reason I, I wanted to mention this is because there is a Thalid or Slapperling um, fungus tribal deck in black green. And I think, I think it could be very good. I'm on the, the Lord Tupperware side of that argument. I think all of the other things make me want to play the Thalids. And then this can also go in that deck or be fine on its own. This one just doesn't seem super amazing to me. Like a three, two that dies into a one, one is fine. Uh, it's relatively easy to evaluate. I think if I'm playing black and I have some of these, I'll probably fit them in if I don't have better three drops. And it looks like I want from what I can tell in the set. So yeah, it's 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 fine. I think it goes up. I think I think the three power is good enough that it'll trade with things and leaving a body behind, I think is very relevant. So the, I, I think this is going to stand out for me. The only problem for me is like being a three, two means it's probably going to trade for a grizzly bear and then leave behind a 1-1 that doesn't have a super big effect unless I have the Lords. So when, when we get to green and we talk about the Lords, yeah, I'm in on those. Those seem great. And then I would also put this in that deck. But I ain't taking these early and then hoping I get the Lords. I'll, I'll just play these if I end up with them. That's fair. All right, then we should probably talk about Eviscerate. This is three and a black for a sorcery destroy target creature. The art has someone getting impaled, which I think is interesting. Um, this is way easier to splash than impale was, so I, I think we're happy about this. But we've seen this for several sets now. There's a four mana black kill a thing at sorcery speed spell. Only thing worth really noting here is this is common, and it's pretty darn easy to splash if you're playing sealed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very glad that we get unconditional removal at common in multiple colors, because I think that, you know, like I said, the removal seems quite thin, but the fact that it seems to be loaded at common will help alleviate that problem. So, yeah, pretty happy with that card. Uh, next one for me is the combat trick I actually like a great deal in black. A fungal infection. Black for an instant. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Create a one, one green sapperling creature token. This is sort of functionally skullduggery if you, if you look at it right. Your opponent's attacking mm -hmm. you with a 3-1 and a 2-2. You have a 1-1 in play. You can play this and trade for both of their cards. Uh, if you have a Grizzly Bear in play, you can eat their other dude and trade for the other card. Like, There's a lot of neat stuff you can do with this card. I think it's quite good for one mana. Do you understand the Boom, Tough Actin, Tenactin, if I, if I say that? Oh, yeah. You probably don't, hey? Oh, you know, okay. That that's I'm going to be saying that a lot when I cast this card. Yeah. It's going to get rid of the Fungus... The Fungus um, Among Us. There are a couple of ways you can play this card. And I think the, I think people may not notice this um, when when they first play this. Some, some players will not notice this or will miss this interaction. You want to usually cast it before blockers so that you can throw your Sapperling in on the double block somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. 
right? Or your opponent's attacking you with a with a two two, right? You can trade this for that two two if as long as you do it before blockers. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the key. Don't when we think of combat tricks, usually we block first, right? Or or not usually, but like that's generally the thing that people do is they block first and then they do their combat trick because then at least if they lose their creature, you know, they don't take any damage, right? Sure. This this is different than that. Like with the skullduggery, you would usually block and then do the thing. Not so much in this case. Try to do it before blocks. Um, I'm a big fan of this card. I will play multiples of these, I think. I think I'd be pretty happy with two, yeah. Yeah. Um, even, like, sometimes it's just going to be, like, kill target 3-1 and then gain five life somewhere else in, in the game because you, you chump block something. Yeah. Which I think is also very huge. So, yeah, th- this is huge upside. Yeah, very happy with that one. Um, Knight of Malice is next up. This is the clone of the white card we saw earlier. It's one in a black for a 2-2 first strike. Hexproof from white and gets plus 1, plus 0 as long as any player controls a white permanent. My dream is to obviously have both of them. Again, reminder, that's not your opponent has a white permanent. Just either player does. So if you can get both knights down, you know, you've potentially got a turn 3, 6 power first strike on defense. That's absurd. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I would love to have any number of these in combination in my deck. Yeah, they're just good cards. And it's fine on its own too, right? Like you don't have to do anything else with it. Yeah. Bears with upside. Bears with upside. They're good. They're good. Um, We've got Settle the Score at Uncommon, which is kind of weird because I think in most cases we'd rather just have the Eviscerate that we saw earlier. But it's worth mentioning. It's two black black for a sorcery. Exile target creature. Put two loyalty counters on a Planeswalker you control. Since we're not often going to have a Planeswalker in Limited, um, I mean, that is what it is. It, it's just a you know functionally impale for us. It does exile it, which will matter for a few things here, not a lot of things. But generally speaking, in sealed or draft, you're going to take unconditional removal, and the card's just fine at that. Yeah, I mean, if you had to take these over um, eviscerate, like for whatever reason you just couldn't have eviscerate, you're fine with that. It's just harder to cast. But I would play these or eviscerate. I'd prefer eviscerate. It doesn't matter. You need unconditional removal. Yeah, and you're going to get that in black, which is kind of what black yep. does. Uh, Stronghold Confessor is an interesting kicker card, which I, I kind of like here. It's uh, black for a 1-1 menace. Kicker 3, it gets 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. So essentially, I'm putting this in my deck and counting it as a 4-drop so I can have a 3-3 menace. That's not a bad card. I've also got the additional flexibility of if my opponent happens to be attacking me with 3-1s and 2-1s, and I need to, I could just play this out early and block it and trade. Uh, so, like, th- this would obviously be better in a format that cared about getting in incremental damage or tiny damage. Um, like, it, it, I think you lose that here. But like, you could also potentially cast this and then go in on an augmentation strategy where this is your one drop. So I think that flexibility makes this worth a slot. And I would probably play one of these in all of my black decks throughout the format. Yeah, I think you're 95% percent of the time casting this is a four drop which is fine like which is great i mean like a four mana three three menace sold yeah just seems fine yeah, just seems fine Thalid omnivore is one i'm kind of interested in the costs are a little bit wrong for me to go nuts over this but it still looks pretty good it's three and a black for a three three fungus uh one generic sacrifice another creature it gets plus two plus two until end of turn if that creature was a sapperling, you gain two life. Obviously, there's some sapperlings around that you'll be able to sacrifice. The art's great. He's eating a, a, a sapperling. That's kind of cool. Like, 
what I like about this is it's kind of miserable for your opponent to try to block it if you have any other creatures. And, like, you would only have to connect with it not, what, like, four times if you actually did it to kill them. So they're going to have to respect it relatively quickly. I'm used to seeing sac effects like this on a 2-2 two, two for 3, which is one less, and then not costing mana. We've seen that on, like, Phyrexian Ghoul and Nantuko Husk, and those were quite good. I can only imagine that it's going to be good here. Uh, it is worth pointing out there is no active treason style effect in the format. Uh, the, the only thing that comes close is like a seven mana kicker cost. So that that's not what we're looking to do with this. We're just going to have to take it on its own. But I think on its own, it might actually be pretty good. Yeah. Anything that makes combat difficult for your opponents, um, I think, is good. You can bait them into making mistakes. And that's how you win games of limited. Yeah. Car- drawing Drawing spells drawing land and making your opponent make mistakes and two for ones. That's how you win limited games. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you, Dave. That's very helpful. <laughs> uh, vicious offering is worth paying attention to here. Uh, one in a black for an instant target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. It also has kicker sacrifice a creature. If you kicked it, that creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. This is a common. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Um, because what it means then is like, you know, I was going to kill something with minus two, minus two at the end of turn anyway, but my opponent happened to remove a spell or a creature of mine with a sorcery speed removal. You know, now I can sacrifice it instead and kill their biggest thing. Um, I think that's, this could be good. Yeah, or like I've got a sapperling laying around or a grizzly bear that's no longer relevant on the board state and you've got an X5 that you're killing me with. Now all of a sudden I can take care of that. So the flexibility isn't bad and we would play one in a black instant target creature gets neg two, neg two pretty happily. Yeah, again, these modal spells are great for that reason. Um, You can also do things like, you know, block something, sacrifice the thing that blocked and kill the other thing. Mm-hmm. If you needed to, like there's, there's things you can do there. So I'm, I'm, I'd be pretty happy to play this. Yeah. That's going in my deck. And those were the black cards I was predominantly interested in. Did I, I miss any commons or uncommons from, from your perspective? No, just more Thalid tribal. But I think, uh, I think we can talk about that on another podcast. Yes. We'll probably have Thalid salad as a podcast coming out before too long. I like that. Um, yeah, let's, uh, Let's roll right into red. Actually, black, I mean, black looks pretty good. Um, it, it gets the better removal, I think, out of all of the colors so far that we've looked at. Yeah. Right? Th- three almost unconditional removal spells, three very good removal spells, um, and then some decent creatures, plus the Thalid kind of synergies, I think, which is the first real tribal synergy that we've seen so far in this set. Um, like, I know wizards are supported, but there's not a ton of wizards that we've seen, obviously. Um and there's, there's a, a little bit of goblin cards. shenanigans, but like that's that's pretty much it for tribal here. That's, that's pretty much it. So yeah. All right, red. Um, first card I wanted to talk about. I don't know how good it will be, but I mean it's a two drop. Is Bloodstone Goblin? It's a one and a red for a two two Goblin Warrior. When you cast a spell, if that spell was kicked, Bloodstone Goblin gets plus one plus one and gains menace until end of turn. I don't think there's enough kicker cheap kicker that makes this worthwhile um on on the surface so kind of just be aware of that that i think if you're going in on this expecting this to always have plus one plus one and menace i don't think you're going to get there um but maybe you can get some extra points of damage through later in the game just kind of keep that in mind i don't i don't i think it's a bit of a trap um don't go all in on this 
Well, I would say don't go all in on it, but if you're playing a red deck and the red cards here are quite aggressive in this format, then I think you're very interested in a 2-for-2-for-2. Two, two two. And the fact that you could activate it later in the game, I think is significant because like the, the deck that's playing four of these is looking to play them on turn two and attack you to death with them. And then if that doesn't work, maybe it gets a little bit better later when I draw my burst lightning. So uh, like I, there's... This can only be so bad if your deck is already interested in two twos for two. So I think that's how you you avoid going all in on it. Is just make sure you're aggressive enough that you're fine. If it you know you you don't get to activate it in the game, it still did what you wanted it to do. Absolutely. Um, fire intervention four and a red for a sorcery modal spell. Choose one. Fire intervention deals five damage to target creature, or destroy target artifact. This is not a braid. Um, but I think having the flexibility and the fact that this deals five damage, which should kill a lot of things that you need to kill with it, um, you can do a lot worse for five mana. I think it's a bit too expensive for me, given some of the other options. I like the card. I like the modality. I think I'm on start this in sealed. Uh, probably not play it in draft, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Like if I'm playing a green deck and I need red for my removal and I'm ramping and I don't get better options, yeah, I'll play it. I don't think yeah, I'm particularly excited about it, but it, it can get the job done. There's better rates for cards when it comes to mana to damage ratio, right? Like this is one one mana for one damage. The next card here, Fight with Fire, is three mana for five damage, also at sorcery speed, so obviously much better. I think the fact that it's common um, means that, you know, you can pick these up if you need removal in red. Yeah, you can. And it's also a plant for like arena best of ones, right? I think you mentioned that while we were doing this set review. It's like something like oh, this yeah. in your arena deck is neat absolutely um but fight with fire is the sorcery removal spell that i'm very interested in playing uh two and a red for a sorcery uh with kicker five and a red so that's a lot of mana what's that nine mana so for two for three mana you can deal five damage to target creature that's a great rate for nine mana if this spell was kicked it deals 10 damage divided as you choose among any number of targets instead those targets can include players and planeswalkers. Yes. Yeah, so, pro tip: you should target this at your opponent if you're casting it for nine, because I don't know how they're not dead if you're playing red. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if for whatever reason you can't kill them with it, you can kill something and throw the rest of their face. Yeah. There's there's a, a few things you can do here. You can kill two things, um, but just having the flexibility of you know this being very good in finishing the game late game, um, I think makes it a very very good pickup. Agree, agree. This is a super strong card, and in a common net, like it should be, but like I'll be picking this one early and often and playing as many as I can get in sealed. Yep. Um, the Flame of Keld is the next one up for me here that I'm interested in seeing how it plays. Um, it's I think it's tough to evaluate for me without seeing it in action, but it is one and a red for a saga. Chapter one is discard your hand. Chapter 2 is draw 2 cards, and then Chapter 3 is if a red source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player this turn, it deals that much damage plus 2 to that permanent or player instead. So if you're not using the Chapter 3 ability to its full extent, let's say, um, it is a suspended spell, 1 and a red draw 2 cards. So you, you play this when your hand is empty, and then next turn you draw 2 cards, could do worse for two mana um if you can but i wouldn't play that you tokens, wouldn't play that either you don't think so no i like nobody was going nuts over tormenting voice 
some people were playing it, but I mean, that was in a format with Madness as well. I think if where, where this becomes better is if you're playing tokens, goblin tokens in particular, and you can somehow go wide. And on that third chapter, you can swing at your opponent and force them to make a bunch of bad blocks. But I don't know if you can get there in the format. Yeah, I'm I'm personally out on this one. I think that's asking too much to go right, and your opponent again sees this coming in three turns. They've got enough time to to recover from this if they can. If they can, if they can't, you just win the game. True. I don't know. I mean, the the suspend draw two cards. I don't know. That might that might be okay to. You've to got run to be empty handed, this man. Being dead. Like, what divination does that's so great is I've got three mana and I need to hit my lands. I can cast it. Can you imagine mm-hmm. having a handful of three drops in this? Are, are you going to play it? No, you're not. It's not divination, and you don't get divination in red, though, right? We got close to it with Tormenting Voice, and that's the closest comparison. And Tormenting Voice was fine on two. If I had a handful mm-hmm. of three drops and I needed some land, fine. I'll just chunk one of them and get two more draws at land. Like, this but, is all of the downside of Tormenting Voice and none of the upside. But you're never playing this on turn two because you're not going to be able to line up I mean, you're not putting this in your deck to cast it on turn two. I think this is a plant for Constructed to do shenanigans with the hollow one and just something we should avoid here. I guess. I'd be interested to see how it plays, though. I don't think I'm ever going to cast it, but I want to see somebody else cast it. (laughs) Fair enough. I could get with you there. (laughs) Because who knows? It could be insane, right? Like, if you end up with, um, with a bunch of goblin tokens or something like that, maybe this is a great card. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um... Let's see here. Gitu Chronicler, one in a red for a 1-3 human wizard with kicker three in a red. Uh, So if it was kicked, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. I think this is kind of along the same lines as your Mind Rot, 1-3 for two. Um, Obviously just in red. Um, You're probably going to have a very good target to get back with this if you're kicking it. Because if you're casting this on turn six or on six mana there's a very good chance that you've cast a five mana removal spell at some point in the game or, or divination or even a divination or something like that. Right. So, um, I think this is, this has very good upside. Um, it doesn't go into your aggressive red deck. Or, I mean, it's not a, it's not as good as a two mana two, two in your aggressive deck. Um, but you could, you could do worse. And, um, and, and I think I think the upside of being able to cast this on six mana is pretty good. Yeah, or and the upside of being able to also cast it on two, right? And like block mm-hmm. if that's what you need to do. Even your aggressive decks will sometimes be, you know, in need of something to block a more aggressive deck. And I don't think like there's aggressive, but there's not really aggro decks uh, in sealed usually. So I, I think I'm pretty happy with the flexibility that this offers. Yep. Um. Goblin Barrage, three and a red for a sorcery. It kicker, sacrifice an artifact or goblin. I love that. Um, but this is four damage to target creatures, so it's four mana for four damage. Probably a little better than the modal spell. Agree. That that we were we looked at earlier, just because it's a little bit cheaper. Um, and it does have the upside that sometimes you can just kill your opponent with this. Chuck a goblin token or chuck a, a random artifact at their face or something like that. Yeah, so it does the um, four damage to a creature, and then if it, if it was kicked, aka you sacrificed a creature, mm-hmm. it also hits a player or a planeswalker. Yeah. So it gives you a little bit of reach without having to take a spell out of your deck, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I like this card. Um, I don't think it's the best removal spell in red, but I think you would not be sad to play these. Agree. Um, let's see here. I had another one here. Um, Keldon Raider. Heck yeah. 
Yeah. Here, here's. I mean, you you love the what was it called? Blood? No. Borderland um, Minotaur. Borderland Minotaur. Two red red for a four three, and this one has text. When Keldon Raider enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. How cool is that, man? They in the art they've separated the man from the bull, so it's a dude riding a bull. Like this, this is kind of neat for me, and it, it's also like Keldon. Uh, I believe it's called. There was one that was like four mana for a four four, and you had to discard a card. So it's kind of a oh. callback to that card. I can't remember the name of it now. It may have been Balduvian Horde. Now that I'm thinking about I it, I think that's what it was. We just saw it in the recent um, recent set, didn't we? Uh, yeah, I think it was in the anniversary one. But like, this is all the upside of Borderland Minotaur, which I already loved. Which was basically that it's pretty good on turn four, and it's a uh, four three is usually a relevant body to add to the board at any stage in the game. And add on that, I can rummage if I want to. So if I you know top deck this later and then I've, I've been holding a land that I didn't need, I'll just cash it in for another spell. Like that's free because I'm already happy playing this as you know four mana for a four three. So I'm pretty happy with this and it's common. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Um, being able to to being able to rummage for free, it has huge upside in red. So red doesn't like normally get card advantage. Not not sorry, not card advantage, but um card selection ways positive ways to select cards right like you know tormenting voice obviously to spend a card to do it but this just comes for free on your body which i think is huge so it's a big deal and a good body and a good body mm-hmm. um i'm really excited to play shiv and fire which is a single red for an instant deals two damage to target creature with kicker four when the spell was kicked is kicked it deals four damage to that creature instead it's just a good modal removal spell, I think. Yeah, if you played Burst Lightning, it's that, but it can't go face, which obviously yeah. makes it a good bit worse. But one mana shock, uh, you're pretty happy to get little stuff out of the way. And then the fact that late game you can spend five mana to deal four damage at instant speed is kind of a big deal. Kind of a huge deal, I think. So, so that's yeah, your common I'm, red removal spell right there. That's your that's your top-notch common red removal spell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um Let's see here. I think that's all that I had really that I was interested in talking about unless I missed anything. I think it's worth um, pointing out two more um, just to kind of get them out there. One is the Fire Fist Adept. This is four and a red for a 3-3 wizard. When it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to target creature and opponent controls where X is the number of wizards you control. So it's always at least going to ping something for one. I think you have to do too much building around this to actually make it good because the wizards don't look that good to me. Um, but if you end up with a pool that has a bunch of wizards that you're playing incidentally, um, or you want to draft around it, like you can let me know how this works. I, I don't think it's going to be great, but I think it might be playable. There's not a ton of wizards. There's not a ton and not a ton of them that I want to play anyway. But if I end up there, I think I'm okay with it. I mean, if you randomly end up with like one of the bounce guys in blue... And then you end up with like a chronicler or something like that. This guy could pick off a, a two two or a three three sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't go nuts trying to force it. But it's there. Um, yep. When you think about the big scary haste monster in the format, Keldon Overseer would like to have a word with you. It's two and a red for a three one haste. I'm just putting that in all of my red decks and very happy with it. Uh, be aware, Sapperlings exist. So they are not friends with this guy. It also has kicker for three and a red. So if you spend seven, you get a free act of treason. You steal one of your opponent's creatures, gain control of it. Um, so mm-hmm. like that can do a thing. And then it's worth noting wizard's lightning is here. This is two and a red for an instant. 
Deals three damage to any target. Costs two less to control if you control a wizard. You don't need to work for this. Open fire was already really good. Wizard's lightning is going to be really good. And occasionally you'll have a wizard in play, but who cares? I'm still taking this quite highly. It's an uncommon. Yeah. Um, a lot of the red removal is like mana for one mana for one damage, it seems like. Yeah, that, which is um, a good rate. Which is a good rate with the, the exception of Shivan Fire. So yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and you, we totally skipped over Charging Monstrosaur. Is back. He's back. Yeah, he's not quite back. <laughs> he's back in uh, in in double red form. Not really. Um, three and a red for a five three. Trample haste is Skizik, which sounds like he'd be like uh, playing at like some kind of nightclub or something like that. Oomts, oomts, uh, oomts, oomts. I'm DJ Skillix. Yeah, Skizix. All right. Um, the key here, though, is if you don't kick it for an additional red, you have to sacrifice it at the beginning of your end step. So the three toughness. It's no charging monster sword, but who knows? It might it might be good, right? This, like this, you might get to punish your opponents that are messing around. This is a reprint. It's good. Is it? Yeah, I've played with this card. It's good. Okay. I will take your word for it then. Yeah. That's great. Just take it. Just take it. Um let's move on to green. I keep this train a rolling. So moving into green, first one I'm excited about is Arbor Armament. Uh, this is green for an instant, but a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. That creature gains reach until end of turn. I like that the counter sticks around. That's my favorite part about this card. Yeah, I'm digging that. And you can randomly ambush something with flying, which is typically something green has trouble about. Like, this is your green combat trick. Be aware that it's here. Uh, we did skip over a wet red one that gives a creature plus one, plus oh, and first strike in haste. Like, so that's in the format as well. There are combat tricks in all of the colors, except for blue, I don't think had one. It had Befuddle, but nobody's playing that. Uh, but I think this one's pretty good. There's also a Pounce variant here, which I, I think time has shown us that Pounce was not actually very good. However, one of the reasons Pounce was bad in Ixalan was everything was so darn small, and Merfolk couldn't really take advantage of it. It had to go in the Dinosaur deck. So Ancient Animus is one in a green for an instant, Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control if it's legendary. Then it fights target creature and opponent controls. So most of the time, this is just pounce. I think it's going to be better than, here than it was in Rivals. I also don't think it's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be better because it's easier to get bigger creatures. Correct. And and so it's completely conditional on what's in your deck, just like all fight spells are. Yeah. Yeah, but yep. I'd, I think I'd rather I'd still rather have Prey Upon, honestly. And then the upside of getting a legendary creature every once in a while is, is a real one. Like, if you ever do that, you're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, Baloth Gorger has me really excited at common. Two green green for a 4-4. Four, four. Kicker 4, so if I spend 8, it comes with 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters. So I've got a 4-mana four 4-4 four, four, or an 8-mana seven, 7-7. Seven. Sold. I, I love it. Yeah, what's not to like? Yeah, I mean, the double green, but I mean, who cares? Like, that's just what green gets, and and I I, I love it. I'm all in on these cards. Yeah, seems good, man. Seems good. Um, next up for me was Gift of Growth. I think this one's okay. Uh, it's one in a green. Untap target creature. It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. You can also kick it for two. If you do, it gets plus four, plus four until end of turn instead. Yeah, this is interesting because um, it's not quite cheap enough 
right? Like two mana, I mean, one mana is very cheap to, to, to be able to cast something and, and hold this up. Two mana is a little more difficult to do that, especially early to mid game. Um, the fact that you get to untap with it, I think could be huge. If you're attacking, I mean, we've seen these, these effects before, particularly we've seen them in white, plus two, plus two, or plus one, plus one, and untap a creature. The fact that you can end the game with it potentially with the X, like plus four, plus four is pretty big for four man. I mean, not necessarily for four mana, but pretty big for a combat trick. Um, you know, stick it on a trampler. Sometimes you just win the game with that extra damage. It could be a, a lava axe to the face at instant speed, or you can just eat anything with your four mana combat trick. So if it's your only card in hand and you're waiting for a good time to use it, you'll have the four mana available to do it. Yeah, we've we've basically seen this in green too with Savage Surge and Aim High and in various formats, and those were always just good. And the best part about them is they're almost impossible to play around. Imagine for a minute that your opponent's attacking you and you think they have a gift of growth. In most cases, how would you play around that combat trick? You'd be like, all right, I'll take the damage. But then, all right, you're attacking back? You can't. They're just going to cast it on defense and eat your creature. So, like, this is one of those, like, even if you sniff it out, you can't play around it. If you're like, they've got a gift of growth, really all you can do is decide what they're going to kill with it. Uh, Which I I think gives this card, like, a huge range because it's so hard to play around. Yeah, I mean, the best thing to do against those usually was to just throw all your creatures in front of it. Yeah, it, it, so, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you were gar- you were guaranteed to kill it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes you could engineer a double block or triple block where you weren't necessarily on the losing end of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good. And it's a common. Yeah, it's a common. You're going to get... You're going to get blown out by this. Yeah. You being the general you. Yeah, so like even not having the kicker, I'd be happy with it. The fact that it's on there is just upside... Um, next for me is Grun, the Lonely King. This is what I want to be ramping to. Four green green for a 5-5. Kicker three. If it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with five plus one plus one counters on it. That would make it a 10-10. Whenever Grun attacks alone, double its power and toughness until end of turn. So if I cast this for six and then attack with it, it's a 12-12. If I cast it for nine... Oh, yeah, it's a 10-10. If I cast it for nine and attack with it, it's a 20-20. You're going to have to interact with this fella. Yep. I mean, has no evasion, but... It's big. It's 10-10. Yeah. It's big. You want something big, it's big. It's it's big. Um, Yeah, pretty excited to see how this plays out. If you can somehow stick... (laughs) <laughs> the uh the one mana blue enchantment on it that gives it flying game over man you're, you're doing it right there yep um yeah no I, I think this is great um even just just on its own it is fine rate obviously you want to be attacking with this if possible um yeah i'm pretty interested to see if you can give this first strike like with a piece of equipment or something like that that's that's pretty spicy yeah that's a spicy meatball mm-hmm. speaking of ramp New card here, Lanawar Elves, green for a 1-1, one, one. tap, add green. New card, this card seems very familiar to me. Where have we seen this effect before? We hadn't seen it in a limited set in a long time. Yeah, it's been, uh, I want to say it's like M13? That had like Elvish Mystic, I think? I think so, M14 maybe? It's been a long time, dude. Yeah, but anyway, it's it's your classic. It's It's great, like always picking this card yeah i mean again be aware the body wears out relatively quickly it's susceptible to removal all those things but like it's a solid way to get to basically break that rule of magic that you can only play one land in per turn 
I get concerned about ramping into nothing quite often, but there's some cards to save you with that. Notably Divination. Like, Llanowar Elves and Divinations are best friends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Play this in uh, in green-black and get the, uh, the instant speed card draw as well. Like, there's a few things you can do there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Worth noting that this is in here as a common. It's not an exciting card, but it's worth a mention. Four and a green for a 3-5 reach in Mammoth Spider. Giant Spider, not quite Giant Spider, but Giant Spider was great. Yeah, you'd be interested in blocking because we can do that. I love blocking. Sapperling Migration is the next one for me. I actually quite like this card. Uh, it's a common sorcery, one in a green, create two one one green Sapperling creature tokens. You may also kick it for an additional four, so six mana total. If you do, you create four tokens instead. So on turn two, this is two one ones. That's basically the same as a Grizzly Bear. It attacks worse and blocks better. Uh, and if I top deck it later in the game, my Grizzly Bear just turned into, you know, four one one tokens. That seems great to me. Yeah, it's it's funny though, because you're a little more down on uh Call of the Knights or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. Which was four mana for four power and toughness over two bodies. This is six mana for four power and toughness over four bodies, with the upside of being able to cast this on turn two. So I think it's it's interesting to see why those cards are different and why this one it sounds like you like more do. than the other one it's it's that flexibility yeah right? it, you're 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 paying a tax on the upside like if you're rich you're paying a bit of a tax but if you're poor you're getting that rebate yeah and and for me that that's all of what it is like if i'm playing against an aggressive deck that's just looking to kill me with two twos and i've got this in my hand and a three drop and a four drop it's like an easy decision to just run this out and trade for the darn thing like all i want to do is stay alive so uh, something that I can play on two that I can also play later and it gets better is a huge card for me. Whereas the knight is always solid when you play it on four, but the flexibility is worth worth a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the fact that this trades with X1s, whereas your knights don't. I mean, they do, but they they trade, you know, one for one. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this is like half for one, I guess, if you want to put it in terms of, of the knight cards uh, in, in particular. So yeah, it's good. And I think... The Sapperlings matter. I think I think there's going to be a very fun Sapperling deck, and I really want to draft it. And I think this is a key card in that deck. Speaking of key cards in that deck, Spore Swarm is next. This is three and a green for an instant. Create three one one green Sapperling creature tokens. It's basically it's, divine uh, verdict. I was going to say it's green eviscerated instant speed. Yes, it's basically that. So you can flash them in. You can block with them. It's one of a few relevant creature types here. Like your opponent's tacking with a 3-1, like, gotcha, and I got these two dudes left over. This is an uncommon. You're not going to see it an awful lot, but I think this looks pretty good. I would play it without any uh, Sapperling synergies, and the fact that there are some in green uh, makes me even more inclined to take it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I wonder if there's, like, a green-white go-wide token deck with charge. For sure. There must be. There has to be. Yeah, this is certainly part of it. Um, Spore Crown Thalid is the one that really has me excited about our fungal friends. Uh, it's one in a green for a 2-2 fungus. Each other creature you control that's a fungus or sapperling gets plus one, plus one. This is uncommon. So this is your sapperling lord and fungus lord, and it's also just on a grizzly bear body. That's, there's, there's no downside here. It's, it's a no-brainer. This card is the reason to play fungus or sapling tribal it's pretty much the only reason and then you look to pick up all your role players first can you imagine this plus my cats are running all over the place can you imagine this with an instant speed spore swarm 
and how amazing that is. It's fantastic. But like, just imagine it's this so with good. anything that it pumps or imagine two of these on the battlefield at once. It's, it's ridiculous. If you can get these in multiples, I, man, I, I can't wait to first pick one of these and then get past one. Yeah. It's going to be so good. I think the card's yeah. really good. I agree. And then the last green one for me is Yavamaya Shepherd. This is two and a green for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, create a green 1-1 sapling creature token. This is our Merfolk Explorer dude or whatever from Rivals. Um, the token doesn't have Hexproof, but it is on a, a relevant creature type. That one was too. But again, the Hexproof really didn't come up there that often. I think this is just a good solid common that I would play in green with zero other Thalid synergies. And the fact that I might pick up a Fungus Lord makes it even better. Yeah, or any kind of um, sacrifice creature or sacrifice Thalid effect. Um, there was a card in black that uh, we kind of skipped over was the pay two sacrifice a creature draw card. Yeah. Like being the, the fact that you could keep your 2-2 around um, to block later or to attack later and sacrifice your token to draw a card I think is pretty good too. There's, there's a lot of upside with these cards. Agree. Agree. I think you missed a very good two drop though that I'm going to... I think this one needs a mention is the untamed Kavu. Okay. Oh, yeah, I did miss that. Sorry, that was just a brain fart. No, no, that's okay. Uh, but I, I think this is like, this is your standout two drop in green. One and a green for a 2-2 with Vigilance and Trample. You're like, who cares, Vigilance and Trample on a 2-2? The fact that you can kick it for an additional three, so it's five mana, and it gets three plus one plus one counters, this goes in your five drop spot. Yeah, and then Emergency, they're killing me, I have to play it, you still can yeah, like I would actively try to avoid casting this on turn two unless I absolutely had to, just because the huge upside of a five mana vigilance five five trample. Yeah, that's that's got me excited. Like Colossipede was already very good in hour of devastation. This is that plus keywords plus flexibility. Now it, again, yeah. it's an uncommon rather than a common, so like that's a factor here. But I'm very interested in this card. Absolutely, man. Green looks great. It just it doesn't get the removal that the other colors do. Which is kind of classic green, right? We've still got the Pounce variant, and I do think it'll be better here, because this stuff is bigger. It goes way mm-hmm. bigger than we're used to in, in Rivals and, and Ixalan if we've been playing that for a while. But I, I think you get a green creature base, you get any other color for removal or shenanigans, you're good to go. I mean, I guess creatures is removal too. Like, you could do a lot worse than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this there's some sweet things. So uh, it's, it's, it's good to be green. It's not easy but it's good. Oh, it's easy to be green. You just take big, dumb things and ramp cards. There you go. <laughs> um, You want to take a quick spin through the artifacts and then maybe go a little deep on the multicolor cards and we could talk about splashing? Yeah, take me to artifact land. Uh, Well, there's no artifact lands. Those have been banned. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, There's not a ton here that I'm super excited uh, about. The first one is Icy Manipulator. This is a classic card. We've talked about this before. Uh, four for an artifact with the activated ability. One and tap tap target artifact, creature, or land. Um, this is just good. Yeah, you should it's, take it. It's super It's super annoying to play against. You remember um, Edifice of Authority mm-hmm. in, uh, in Amonkhet or the Fanbear in Amonkhet and remember how annoying those cards were to play against. This is that and it goes in every single deck. Yep. So... Um, good in, good if, if you're attacking, good if you're blocking, all sorts of cool things like that. Um, Jousting Lance, I'm interested to see how it plays. I don't really know if it will be good or bad. I'll help you out. It's going to be bad. You, and because of the equip cost? Yep. However, I think the upside of it... 
do you think this is a 17 or 18 land format? It feels like 18 land to me because of all the kicker. I think it's 17 because of all the kicker. I think it's 18 because of the kicker. I want to play 18 lands. You know I love 18 land formats, but we haven't seen mm-hmm. good kickers spread out that far among all the colors. So I'm going to be playing 17 at my, my releases on uh, Friday. That's fair. If you play more land or you have an abundance of, of mana available to you for whatever reason, then the equip cost kind of stops mattering at that point, which is why I want to see if this plays. Because I think if it is an 18 land format, I think equipment like jousting lands which is two for an equipment equipped creature gets plus two plus oh as long as it's your turn it has first strike and it's equipped three and i and the reason is because if if it is a board stall format this could potentially break through those board stalls the the place i see this being playable although still not necessarily good is in a white green deck where i've got Mm -hmm. some extra mana through my lanawar elves and i've got some vigilant creatures that i can throw this on maybe i got some knight tokens like a 4-2 first strike is kind of a scary creature, and since they're vigilant anyway, it can trade up with something later. But that's such a steep equip cost at 3 that like I'm, I'm going to have to cheese it somewhere. I don't like the card. I understand it triggers historic. I don't care. I want to do that with good cards, not with this. Yeah, I, I, think this, I think this could get some play, but we'll have to see. And the reason I think it could get some play is because, like I said, if you're playing AT land or you're playing ramp or whatever, I think that equip cost doesn't necessarily matter as much. But we'll see. We'll see. I'll let um, you. Uh, I, 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 you, you can think what you want. I'm going to opt out. You're going to opt out. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Skittering Surveyor. This is one of our preview cards. This is just great. Um, play them. Period. You're going to draw a card every time you play it. So it's three uh, colorless for a one-two construct. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle your library. Yep. Always draws you a card, Sold. and it will fix you. This is how we're splashing. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Sparring Construct, which is one uh, colorless for a 1-1 construct? When it dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Probably not playing this unless my opponent's playing a lot of X1s, in which point I might bring it in from the board. Uh, But generally speaking, I'm not in for a one-mana 1-1, even if it dies and has some sort of trivial effect. I think I'm in if, if Historic matters. I haven't seen enough. Like, there's, I still feel like there's better ways to trigger Historic. Like, we've skipped over Guardians of Coleos, which I think is fine. It's a 5-mana 4-4. When it enters the battlefield, you can return another target historic permanent you control to its owner's hand. Like, that guy's fine. Um, We've got Howling Golem, 3-mana for a 2-3. When it attacks or blocks, each player draws a card. That's fine. Nothing to write home about. But all of those are at least reasonable bodies for the mana cost. Whereas, like, 1-mana 1-1, I'm kind of out. No, I think you could could do some things with this. I think... I think... You're right, a one mana one one doesn't do much. I think putting the plus one plus one counter on something could put something over the top. I'd be interested to see. Um I just I wouldn't I wouldn't I, I pay you, a card I for that, right? It. Like we've got the green one that's just instant speed put a counter on something. You would never just mm-hmm. run that out. So the upside has to be that I could land this on turn one and get in two points of damage with it. And that's just not enough upside for me in limited. It it's okay. There's nothing really bad to say about the card other than I just don't want a one mana one one. That's fair. I think I think you played in historic matters, and I think I think there will be enough of those, especially in white. We saw some, like, or I mean, if you look at the rares, yeah, um, I think there are some some good historic matters cards there. I think I think these types of things are the, are the cards you're looking for, things that can block early or not block early, but like trade early for X ones, maybe buy you some life early on if it chump blocks, and then get some kind of value out of it mm. as well. It'd be interesting to see, and I, I think that's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be difficult to evaluate which 
artifacts are useful for triggering your historic matters cards. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd rather just play the good ones anyway, but I- I'm with you. We'll see if I end up building around that or not. I just don't uh, think that's a I, card I'm going to include. I think the problem is, is there's not many good ones that are cheap. I think Do the you know short I mean? sword like, is okay. It's one mana for an equipment. Equip one. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one. We saw Hone Kopesh get play in Emin Cat. Like, that's yeah. at least a cheap equipment that I can move around and trigger historic with. Like, if I'm interested in, you know making my creature slightly better or turning my my snapping drake into a real dragon like and triggering historic i'd rather do it with that than this that's fair you'll note that the sparring construct is actually carrying a short sword which is pretty neat that's probably what he's passing off (laughs) actually you're probably right you kill the construct and take a sword yep um not very excited with the artifacts to be honest though no, there's not a lot of them, although to be fair, there's some that are quite good. I think Juggernaut's in this list too. Four mana for a 5-3, it attacks each combat if able, cannot be blocked by walls. There are a few walls in the format. Like, don't forget the colorless discount. Like, if you open an Icy Manipulator, you should almost always take it regardless of what else is in the pack, because it 100% goes in every deck. Um, so, like, don't forget the colorless discount. These go in any deck that you want to put them in. So next up, the multicolored uh, uncommon cards. Can we just say that they're all good? They're all at least good? They're all at least good. There's some that I think are, are miles above the others. So I, I, I kind of wanted to rank these as like, not rank them, but like put them in buckets where it's like, do whatever you can to splash these cards. So like if you're playing one or both of the or sorry if you're playing one of those colors you should splash for the other color um then there's like solid ones to like be those colors you know like if you if if you pick arvad the cursed for example that is a very good reason to just play black black and white so we'll argue about that in a minute but sure of course of course i'm just just in his example right um it's it's a good reason to be in those colors and then there's kind of the next tier down which is like you know if you're playing sealed and you open a bunch of good color or good cards in both of these colors, you'll throw this card in as well, right? It's not a reason to play those colors, but if you have the support for it, you will do it. And I think all of these will fit into one of those categories. I agree. So let's start it off then. All right. We've got Adela's, which we're going to call Adele, the Cinder Wind. One blue red for a 2 2 flying haste. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, wizards you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Adele is a wizard. Yep. So she's basically got prowess. And maybe prowess for one of your other dudes, too. Yeah. I think she fits in the category of play if you have cards in those colors. I agree. And um, I think she's quite strong be- there. Absolutely. I think, and, and you're going to have random wizards there. Um, not first pickable. But if you're already blue and red in pack two or pack three, I think she fits in quite nicely. I agree completely. Arved the Cursed, three black, white for a legendary vampire knight is a three, three with death touch and lifelink. Other legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus two. It goes very well in the five color legendary deck. (laughs) Sure. I'm not entirely sure there is a five color legendary deck, but if there is, you're certainly going to want to do that. I think he's in the same cap with Adele, that if I'm in black and white, I'm actively interested in putting this in my deck. Um, I feel like I'm overpaying by one. It's awesome that he can trade with anything. The lifelink is going to be pseudo-relevant, but like a 3-3 three, three for 5, not it's hard to cast, not 100% sold, but I think I'm putting him in every black-white deck that I play, and I presume I'm going to have somewhere around 
you know, three-ish legends in sealed, he's one of them. So it may pump some other creature. You know, be careful if, if they attack with a 5-5 five, five and you've got another legendary creature that's getting pumped because of this guy. They could kill him in response. Like, at that point, I may just block with him because of the death touch. But he's always at least going to trade with something on the ground. I think he's fine, and I think he's in that. If I'm black and white, I'll play him. I agree. I agree. It'd be interesting to see how many legendaries we get in draft on average. I'm very curious to see because a lot of the rares are legendary, and then a lot of some of the uncommons are legendary. Mm -hmm. So um, I wonder how relevant that pump effect will be. Well, if there's two in each pack, you know, presumably we'll have access to somewhere around six to ten if we really want to go after it. But then then color considerations is a problem. I'm I'm interested to see how that shapes out too. Mm -hmm. Our next one is Garna the Blood Flame. Three black red for a 3-3 flash. When Garna enters the battlefield, return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from anywhere this turn. Other creatures you control have haste. It's a lot of modes on this card. Yeah. So you can three mana or five mana, three, three flash and eat something, which not the best way to use this card, but you can do it. And if, Um, if you do that, then whatever you play next turn has haste and your opponent didn't see that coming. Yes, absolutely. Um, you could just flash it in end of turn and then your things get haste the next turn. Mm -hmm. Um, the effect that I'm interested in, I really want to know on average, how many cards you're getting back with this. It's probably one or zero. Yeah. But even if you just get one with it, you know, it's, potentially your best card that was on the board if your opponent is using the removal spells their sorcery speed removal spells on your best creature i think this is between solid reason to choose these colors and do whatever you can to splash this i think it's i think it's solid like the top end of solid reason to be these colors i agree i agree and i like that most of the time you're going to attack your opponent with your five mana up and then if the blocks don't go the way you wanted them to you can just play her in your second main and get your dudes back that died like they're not going to see that necessarily coming either while you still have all your combat tricks up and could have anything. So I think all of that adds up to a solid card for me. Absolutely. Uh, Halar, Holler at your um, Halar, the fire Fletcher is a one under one green and a red for a legendary elf archer is a three, three with trample. It's a pretty good rate right there. Whenever you cast a spell, if that spell was kicked, Put a plus one, plus one counter on this, and then it deals equal damage equal to it, the number of plus one, plus one counters on it to each opponent. So it comes into play as a 3-3, three, three, and then if you kick something, it becomes a 4-4 four, four that deals one, and then a 5-5 five, five that deals two. Um, I don't think this is in the category of splashable, and the reason is is because a lot of the kicker cards are in red and green. Also, the there power level of the that, card is being able to play it on three. This is true as well. Um... I think it'll be very, very good in green-red specifically, though. Yeah, I I think this is a play it if you're those colors, not like pick this and then go into those colors, right? Because you're going to be playing some kicker stuff, sure, but a lot of the power level here is this is a 3-mana 3-3 that's a little hard to cast, uh, but you want to be able to take advantage of that 3-mana 3-3. So I think this is a like maybe high end of play it if you're already these colors. Sure. I could see first picking it out of a not so great pack, I guess. I'm a little higher than it on than you are on it, I think, but I also really like the kicker in green, so Okay, okay. I'm with you with yep. you. Yeah, yeah. We can disagree. I'll opt out. Yeah. Raf Capation Ships Mage is two blue white for a three three flash flying. You may cast historic spells as though they had flash. Um 
I think it's in the same category. I think um, play if play it if you have cards in this. It's not necessarily a reason. I mean, I guess a three three flash flyer is pretty good. You're not necessarily doing it for the historic spells with flash. Like that's mostly irrelevant, I think. But your opponent um, still has to respect it. Like, can they attack they in? Not necessarily knowing what blockers you have. That's true. That that's true. I mean. Historic spells, I mean, we looked at the artifacts. There's not a ton of them. So you're really going to hopefully flash in legendaries. Mm-hmm. And there's some good ones. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I think it's, I think it's again, the top end of play if you have good cards in these colors. Not necessarily a reason to be these colors. I agree. But I don't know. Whatever. I mean, 3-3 three, three Flash Flyer is pretty good. Yeah. Seems great to me. Uh, Rona, Disciple of Gix, is one blue-black for a 2-2 legendary human artificer. When she enters the battlefield, you may exile target historic card from your graveyard. And you may cast non-land cards exiled with her. And she also has the additional ability of four tap exile the top card of your library. This looks really good to me if the format's slow and grindy, which I'm I'm a little mm-hmm. hopeful that it will be. So like, sure, you have to have something in the graveyard to trigger her, but you get a, you get a scathe zombie, and then you can basically spend four mana to draw a card as long as they don't kill her. Right? So it's it's yes. a little fragile. I'd have been happier if it was a 2-3 or even a 1-3 or maybe even a 1-4, dare we dream. Uh, but I, I think all of this adds up to a, a solid card. I'm not quite on the splash her level, but it, it is a mana sink and a, a way to get value over turns if your opponent isn't doing anything. So like a board stally format, this is going to be good. So so this is certainly a reason to be those colors. It may even be the the one out of the batch that I think is splash worthy. Oh, that's not that's fair. Slimefoot's splash-worthy, too. But I, I think she's They're, in that category. You think she's splashable? I think... In sealed. In sealed is what I'm thinking. In sealed. In sealed. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, and you should always have a, like have the ability to have a target for her entering the battlefield effect. Because you'll probably have legendary creatures in the yard or artifacts in the yard um, or sagas in the yard. Right? But if you don't, she's fine. So she's, she's just fine. I think you really want to be making sure that you get that extra ability off of her though without having to do the four and tap her um so that mid to late game like on seven mana or something like that i guess that's late game um she has the upside of being able to come down and cast something right away yeah she's a grave digger at that point yeah exactly yeah that's probably a better way to think of her is like a grave digger for your your historic cards your sagas your legendary creatures your artifacts or anything like that that you've done and then the fact that she yep. has value after that makes her even better. Yeah, I'd splash for a Grave exactly. Digger, so I'm splashing for this too. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is uh, Shauna Sisse's Legacy, which is green and a white, very hard to cast, for a legendary human warrior. She's a 0-0. Zero, zero. She gets plus one, plus one for each creature you control, and she can't be the target of abilities your opponents control. Now note this is not hexproof. Somebody at the pre-release is going to make this mistake. It's only abilities your opponents control, so they can still kill her with a an eviscerate, for example. It's almost like we saw some green and white cards that made tokens and wondered if there was going to be a green and white go wide strategy. And then here's a card that would go great in that. Yeah, how do you like going tall when you go wide? It's it's fantastic because it attacks your opponent from a different angle than what they were expecting, right? Like exactly. you, you've sort of got a lord-ish type creature for that deck. She's always at least going to be a one-one because she counts herself. Um, so like you don't have to worry about playing her and just having her instantly die. 
It's a little hard to cast. I, I think this is play it if you're those colors or you're heavily invested in those strategies, but I don't think it's a bad card. No, the upside of this is you're not necessarily playing it on turn two because then it's just a 1-1 one, one. Um, unless you plan on making tokens on turn three or something like that. Like there's better cards to be playing on turn two, um, which helps the splash ability a little bit. That being said, um, I think it's just, you know, if, if you first pick this, you're playing green, white, and you're looking to pick up all the all the sapperling makers that you can at that point. What I want to do is attack with her when she's a 3-3 three, three and have my opponent block with a 3-3 three, three and then cast the surprise three sapperling spell. Be like, oh gotcha, God. and I made these dudes. And I made these dudes? Mm-hmm. That would be great. Still had all these. Can you read the next one for us, Dave? I know you want to anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Slimefoot the Stowaway is one black green for a legendary fungus. It's a 2-3. Whenever a sapperling you control dies, Slimefoot the Stowaway deals one damage to each opponent. You gain one life. And it has four mana, create a 1-1 one, one green sapperling creature token. That's a mana sink, boys and girls. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% sold on this one. And I think it's in the category of do whatever you can to splash this. And by do whatever you can to splash this, Dave, means absolutely put the two Pilgrim's Eyes and a Swamp into your green-white deck. He doesn't mean put two Swamps into your green-blue deck and say, it'll be fine. Like, be reasonable <laughs> um, with your splashes. But if, if you if you have the opportunity to splash and this is in your pool, you should probably play it. Because Mana Sinks are strong. Yeah, I think the upside of splashing this is you could also splash Eviscerates at the same time. And things like that if you happen to have those types of spells in black. Yeah, but you should just be um, playing black-green at that point. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you might not have a very good black pool. And you did talk about splashing Eviscerate earlier. So, yeah. um, But but yes, this is 100% splashable. And the upside of just making a ton of tokens is huge. Yeah, and like, like I said, you're going to open some sealed pools that have two of the uh, Surveyor. When you do, that's when you start looking for those splashes. Mm-hmm. And our last one here... Oh, no, it's not. We've got two more. Tatiova Benthic Druid is three green-blue for a 3-3 Merfolk Druid. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life and draw a card. So I'd I'd mentioned being scared of ramping into nothing when I'm playing green-blue, and this kind of solves that, because if I ramp into nothing in top deck lands, it's basically giving all of my lands cycling when I play them, and I gain life for free. And the body's not that bad a rate. So I think I'm actually quite happy uh, with the Benthic Druid. There's even a ramp spell that like fetches out lands for you. So like that just turns that into you know get a land, draw a card as well. Uh, I I think there's everything here to like. I I think I'm probably going to splash this in sealed. I think I'm probably not going to splash it in draft. I think I'm splashing it wherever I can. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. To be honest, I th- I think the upside of it is huge. If this sticks, um. And you're and you draw a card or two off of it. I think it's huge. Yeah, I guess it's draw a card um, every other turn, basically. Yeah, and and in the games where this sticks around for much longer, um, I think it is very very good. Um, what you want to be doing with this, I think, most of the time is casting it on six uh, on a turn where you can play a land immediately after playing this, so you can get value off of it. Yeah, the old um, coarser play. Exactly the coarser play. Um, I think it's also pretty good to ramp into because your opponent is forced to remove it right away because you have to assume that you have land drops remaining in hand if you cast this on turn four for example yeah so i think it has a lot of upside and it's a huge target for your opponent which could potentially pave the way for your giant 10 10 or whatever that you're casting in green later on yeah maybe even the next turn 
Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Okay, I'm sold. I'm splashing it too. Deal. And Tiana ships caretaker three red white for a three three flying first strike legendary angel artificer. You didn't watch the Firefly series, did you? Oh, of course I did. It was fantastic, and she's totally the oh, engineer. She's totally Kaylee. Um, whenever an aura or equipment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Yeah, that's kind of weird because if you put stuff on her and they kill her, she's not still around for the trigger, is she? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's how that works. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure on this one, but like we can evaluate this as five mana for a 3-3 three, three flying first strike random you know upside if they happen to you know get rid of one of your enchantments or something like that i I think what she's supposed to be doing is playing well with sagas which are naturally going to kill themselves right no it's auras Mm -hmm. no no it's auras it's not it's not a it doesn't even do sagas huh i don't know yeah i'm I'm gonna have to ask a judge about this one because this one's wonky like if she has an aura on her and my opponent you know lightning bolts her do i get the aura back is it a triggered thing, like a replacement effect? So ask your judges if you open this and that comes up, because it might. That said, the creature by itself is fantastic. Five mana for a 3-3 flying first strike? I'd play that. I think this is on, the, again, top end of reasons to be that color. Probably not quite splash-worthy, unless I've got a pretty free splash. Like, I've got, you know, two of the Pilgrim's Eye dudes. I'm playing, you know... Red, black, and I've I've got another white card. I think I want to splash anyway. Sure, let's go ahead and get her in there. That's fair. And I think that brings us to the end of it. I think we got there. We went a little over two hours. I was thinking we were going to have an hour and a half, but th- this is an exciting set with a lot to talk about. And we didn't even talk about any of the rares at all. And normally we do. Normally we touch on a few rares. So there's a lot of cards here. I think it's going to be a format where... All of the cards are powerful, or a lot of the cards are powerful. Um, and I think it will reward people that can navigate the gameplay more so than the draft. I agree. I, however, I also think that the draft will be quite fun because it can, looks like you can go in a lot of different directions and the draft isn't essentially done after five picks, which is one thing I didn't care for in Rivals or Ixalan. I also do want to point out that there are spell lands in the format without going into them because we're way over our time limit here uh the blue one and the black one are pretty easily the best you should just play all of those that you have the white one and the green one are pretty darn good too and the red one don't do much for you yeah we talked about them in the uh spoiler episode so you can go back and actually listen to that one if you want to want to hear us talk about those lands in more detail correct yeah no i'm excited to draft this i'm looking forward to the pre-release this weekend we hope all of you out there also enjoy your pre-release, whether that be on Magic Online or in paper. Yeah, I'm super excited to play Sealed again, man. I love Sealed, and I kind of gave up on Rivals because I didn't really care for the format. So I'm really excited to get to play Sealed again. Expect to see me streaming a good bit more Magic Online uh, towards the end of this week. Yeah, I predict that you will enjoy this format because it has everything you want in a format. There's a lot of fixing. We didn't even talk about like the green fixer. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit that searches for... Uh, for three mana searches for a land and ramps you and for five mana searches for two land mm-hmm. like I can predict you playing four color shenanigans in a lot of sealed decks shenanigans will be had for sure yes alright that's going to wrap us up there uh, thanks to mana deprived and face to face games.com for the host and the support Travis where can they find you streaming magic online next week 
Uh, this week on Friday, man. No, this week. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Simulan. Uh, you can also catch me on Twitter under the same name. I'm Twitch.tv slash DCivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. And I'm on Twitter the same. You can also catch us on Twitter at Men From Moto. Once again, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Adios.